Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good afternoon from someone who has watched not a second of the NCAA tournament, but we know that you hardcore listeners don't care at all about college basketball. You just want the hardcore NBA. And we're going to give it to you in the form of a 15 and 60 mailbag in the Western Conference. We're going to go in order of the current standings. And that means that we will not be starting with the Golden State Warriors. That's right. We'll be starting with the Denver Nuggets since the Warriors lost to Dallas last night. That meant that Denver moved into first place by themselves. They are now 49 and 22. 7 and 2 since the last 15 and 60. They are 5th in net rating at plus 5.1, 5th in offense, and 11th in defense. 538's Carmelo projections put them at 55 wins, which would be second in the Western Conference, and they have clinched a playoff berth, which is pretty awesome considering how it went down to the last day of the season last year. And so to, to not have to deal with that, though, you know, now they're competing for something altogether different. And a lot of our questions, not surprisingly, are about the playoffs. And I think we could start with one from at L. Thompson Barrow. Who should be the fifth guy? So the question assumes Jokic, Millsap, Gary Harris, and Jamal Murray are the other four. Near the end of a close playoff game, and the options that they give are Barton, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, and Tory Craig. Uh, I believe the question said, gasp, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I do not do stage directions unless I wrote them. Well, clearly we'll see Craig come in on defense-only possessions. That would make the most sense to me. Barton has the best pedigree here. I'm not, and I'm not at all sure that Gary Harris, the way that he's played this year, is necessarily an automatic. I think you could see Beasley closing games for him, especially because I, I see Mike Malone as someone who, for good or for ill, kind of follows the vagaries of the way that individual game is going and he likes to give the idea that if you played well in that particular game you can earn it to close things out and frankly from a statistical standpoint Beasley has been much better than Harris or Barton this season um so I could see it really being two of those three guys most of the time you know maybe depending on the matchup Craig could play more because if they're just getting completely destroyed by someone like a Kevin Durant at the, you know they would be lucky to get to play the Warriors I think to make the which would mean almost certainly that they'd made the conference finals uh you know James Harden is someone else that they might have to go up against where they just feel like hey we have to have Torrey Craig on the floor to defend this guy although he of course is an imperfect option offensively especially when you've got Millsap out there as well that's when the spacing really gets tight they do kind of have the thing though Danny which you've talked about where especially if you're going against someone like Harden where they're trying to get the switch and get the most favorable matchup where it's like they're going to go after whoever they perceive the worst guy to be anyway so it doesn't really matter who the second worst guy is as much exactly and yeah so so my read based on how they have played this season is that I would prefer Malik Beasley now that does not mean Malik Beasley is the best option against everybody or in every circumstance but I think he's been better than Will Barton this year and and well 
Barton, I think, can play better overall than he has so far this season. You know, Beasley's been great, and I, I don't have much of a reason to believe that it's he's significantly worse than than what he's done. And the you know, having better defenders in the playoffs will be a challenge, but that's gonna be a challenge for Will Barton too. Like that's it's not really a difference there. I also like the fit of Beasley with the other guys. You know, he he competes defensively, he can hit open shots, but he doesn't dominate the ball. Kind of like from when I watch Beasley, I see him as a better cog in that machine. They have a lot of other guys that can do kind of the big stuff and Barton sometimes can get a little in his own way with a team this good. So, I mean, not to say that their offense is bad when Barton's out there, obviously, with those guys, but it's just, I, I just like the fit of Beasley a little bit better. So I'm going with Malik Beasley, but as you said, defense-only possessions, you go with Torrey Craig and all the kind of stuff. But the other big reason why I would be concerned about going to Craig like more on a full-time basis is you brought up the idea of the second worst defender against Harden. Craig is also like he's such an obvious hiding place for bad defenders that you that teams will teams will latch onto that and so there are a series of opponents in the Western Conference playoffs that have like a bad defender or have somebody that at least they'd like to hide and so Tory Craig just makes it so much easier for those teams to play on defensively and like that we there's a question about that in, in involving this team that we'll get into actually on a different team they were talking about Rudy Gobert but I think that's another kind of part of this story is you don't want to give the other team an easy out well Monte Morris was mentioned you know, Morris shooting 43 percent from downtown but he's really you know takes him a long while to set he's really more just a stationary catch and shoot guy maybe if you go way under on the screen he, he can hit a three um but you know what barton and morris give is a little bit more ability to ball handle attack off the pick and roll if the whole Jokic handling at the elbows guys cutting off of him if that's not working as well in the playoffs maybe it's just better scouted or you know for whatever reason that's not going as well or teams are switching it and you just need more off the dribble attack you know it could be Morris it could be Barton um you know, you, Morris does kind of leave you a little undersized on the other end uh, with Jamal Murray then having to guard uh, shooting guard. So it really, I think it's going to depend so much on the matchup, right? If they're if you're going against, say, San Antonio and DeMar DeRozan is trying to kill you at the end of games with his kind of ISO back down style, then maybe you really do go to Craig. Uh, and San Antonio is not a great defense. You know, you feel like, all right, we can just score on them at the other end. If it's Houston and they're going to try and get the switch against the easiest matchup, then maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe we say we're just going to try and outscore Houston uh, on the other end, run it down their throats. Um, if it's Portland, that's one where maybe you might want Monte Morris. Maybe you feel like he is the best option uh, against Damian Lillard. Maybe it's Harris uh, guarding Damian Lillard. Um, you've also got McCollum to deal with, but there's less of a concern of really needing the size if you're going up against Portland, they don't really have guys in the wing that you're worried about guarding. So again, maybe you feel like, because I don't really feel between Harris, I think, how would you rate the guys other than Craig defensively in that group? I mean, I guess Harris kind of has the best reputation among yeah, those guys. He, he definitely has the best reputation. I, when I've watched them this year, I haven't seen that, the, like the best defensive play from him, but I yeah. acknowledge it's it's small sample size, not only for him, I mean, he's missed a bunch of time this year, but also for me watching him. So I don't, like, I kind of rely a little bit more on the prior with him a little but yeah I, I would probably say Harris of that group yeah so and maybe Beasley would be second uh, and then you know between Morris and Barton out I, I I don't know that I have a great read on on where Monte Morris's defense is at this point I I've never been impressed with Will Barton as a defender and he certainly miscast it guarding threes uh but yeah that, that's a really interesting question I think it's going to depend so much on the matchup and especially with it being Mike Malone who's playing well in that individual game uh does Denver fare worse in the playoffs than other teams as they go to smaller rotations 
do a couple that was the timer but we spent a lot of time on that defense question so we'll do a couple more here uh does denver fare worse in the playoffs than other teams as they go to smaller rotations what's the eight to nine man rotation the nuggets should settle on i think pretty much where they've been at this point in time uh you know with craig as a specialist but not really in the rotation aside from that you got Plumley at backup center, Beasley and Morris coming off the bench, Harris and Barton starting, and then of course Murray, uh, Millsap, and Jokic. So I think that's that's really uh, your eight man group with Plumley, Beasley, and Morris uh, coming off the bench. And and I mean I, I'd like to see Hernan Gomez get more time. It's it, since he kind of had that weird abdominal injury and everyone else came back. You know I think uh, Hernan Gomez might be one where if you need more size and Craig isn't working out because of the offense, you might try Hernan Gomez. Yeah, and to answer the first part of the question. I I would say Denver is helped less by the shift in the rotations than a lot of teams i mean how much more they play Jokic is a really interesting question like what is his what is his minute load going to be like let's say in the first round yeah. i'm not yeah. exactly and will we sure. see the double big alignment right and yeah. so so i mean 538 adjustments give and i would fully agree that the clippers have the lowest pause they, they like they get the lowest benefit because their team is crazy deep and they they're you could argue that two of their three best players don't start so how they figure that out is going to be challenging then they have portland and then denver and that seems about right to me just because Denver has a deep team and while giving their starters a higher proportion of the minutes helps, it's not like, let's say, the Warriors or the Rockets where those guys are just, they're so far ahead of the of the other players in, on their team that it's a bigger positive. All right, quickly here, umbilical kid, compare and contrast 2019 Denver Nuggets and 2015 Atlanta Hawks. I've seen that comparison, not one that I particularly agree with. I mean, that Hawks team actually won a lot more games, although they got lucky to do so. That Hawks team was much better defensively. I mean, you had... Al Horford, Millsap, who's four years younger. Uh, you had Damari Carroll, who's a better wing defender than anyone that Denver has. Um, certainly, I think the Nuggets have both a better iso score guy in murray even though he's not that efficient i think he can get his own shot more than some of those hawks guys can uh and then a a much better best offensive player Jokic, is far superior to anyone who is on that hawks team but uh you know i think that hawks team was better um than these nuggets were um you know they played together a little better they're a little bit ahead of their time in terms of uh, their strategy back uh, in 2015 um and you know they won 60 games and denver might get to 55 that's a, a difference so uh but i don't necessarily see the parallels in terms of like oh this is a good regular season team and they're not gonna work in the playoffs for the same reasons you know i mean i think that hawks team just didn't have enough star talent when it came down to it i don't know that that's really the issue for denver i think it's more denver being able to defend i think denver's going to score reasonably well actually in these playoffs and then finally how best could denver balance their roster to trade away their overloaded guard rotation to land a solid three they can't threes are just more valuable than any of those guards really yeah and it's not like they're like totally asset rich at this moment now maybe if i think their best option for that is actually going to be michael porter just if he can come back yeah but he's Even, not a defensive player and he's right. really more of a four too both of those things are true i also still think that he's their best option just because they yeah. actually the other one is the mid-level exception you know Houston, denver depending on how how they can pitch will barton on this they could put together a really interesting sales pitch for a, a three basically say hey look we're a really good team we're going to be a really good team and you're going to get starters minutes you get to play 
play a lot in the playoffs. We're going to, we're going to be there. And so maybe I, I don't know what those types of guys are going to want, but they have a really good sales pitch. Now, unfortunately for them, if Kevin Durant leaves the Warriors, fortunately, obviously the Warriors are worse, but Golden State basically would have the same argument and be a, and be a better team. So they might not even get that guy, but they have a good argument. And I always kind of like that. I always think there's a possibility there, but that's going to be spending and how much does Millsap get paid and all those sorts of things. We'll talk about their off season in the future. Yeah. I mean, maybe the one thing you could do in a trade is because you've got Beasley under still on a rookie contract for one more year, you could get an older three who, you know, is a little bit more of a short term fix, but the contractual situation isn't as favorable. Uh, all right. That's uh, that's enough there. Let's move to Golden State still somehow second in the West after just uh, were you at that game last night? I I uh, decided to go skiing yesterday and I don't regret my decision. <laughs> I mean, it was great. I was there. It was great to see Dirk have that, you know, moment. I we, we still don't know if he's going to retire, which is making all of this kind of weird. It's kind of like you're the, they're pushing him out the door and he's not he's not walking out of it like Wade did. But I mean, it was great to see him do well. Luca had a, had a wonderful game again, but the Warriors' defense was so 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 terrible. And uh, so to get into the question or the stats before the questions, the Warriors are now forty nine and twenty three, five and four since the last fifteen and sixty, and some of those four losses are just absolutely terrible. Plus seven net rating is second in the league, number one in offense, number 10 in defense, which they've actually moved up on the defensive rankings despite some of these bad games because overall, like they've had some great defensive performances in that stretch. 538 still projects them to finish ahead of the Nuggets with 57 wins, so that would be too clear. And they have a big game against Denver. I think that's not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. And they have clinched a playoff berth. First question is from Hollister. How has Andrew Bogut looked so far for the Warriors? It was interesting because Bogut, came back and started his first two games because that was when Cousins was dealing with a foot issue and so he didn't play at all so Bogut kind of he didn't step into Cousins role he stepped into kind of a hybrid thing and what was striking to me was how much he looked like himself like the guy who you know he's thinner and all that kind of stuff but you know doing the illegal screens and helping out on defense and being the only guy on this team that can call out Draymond Green on like defensive positioning because nobody's done that since Bogut left on the playing obviously the coaches can and so all of that kind of stuff is there, but the same concerns about like, why would you play a center when they have so many other good options and all these sorts of things, all those are, all those are there. I, in, except for in certain matchups, you know, there's certain teams where he, you'd rather have him out there than Looney, but really that's kind of the level where you are is like a, a, a player who could be useful, but there isn't necessarily like an ironclad use for them. Yeah, I think against a lot of teams, he's makes their defense a lot better. But when you've got him and Draymond out there, I mean, yeah, Bogut looks a little bit more spry right now, but it's it's still three years since he was last on the team, and he was a big offensive liability even at that point with an inability to finish it or shoot. And now you throw in a Draymond Green, you know, the team that Bogut was last on had a Draymond Green who was shooting in the high 30s from three. That is uh, no longer the case. So putting those two guys out there together, it doesn't work. Oh, I'm I'm not sure if you I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but Bogut is consistently passing the ball to Draymond Green beyond the arc when he's open for threes he like kind of on the idea of oh this guy could shoot them and then this year he's not and so then that's led to some of the like stagnated possessions it's been kind of funny actually <laughs> well so uh it seems mostly a break break glass in a taste of emergency type of player in the playoffs colonel cactus sounds like a clue character uh it is it is a col cactus maybe that means something else other than colonel but i'm gonna pretend it means colonel boogie has gone right through an impressive stretch of fives recently is he making a case for starting playoff minutes that are no longer matchup based what do you think danny yes against teams that aren't good enough to really threaten the warriors in a seven game series you know the he the place to start here 
is that the Warriors' best five-man lineup still does not involve DeMarcus Cousins. So if you need to win a game, then you go to that lineup more often. You know, the Warriors are defending materially better when Andre Iguodala is the fifth guy. I mean, they defended better when Iguodala was out there instead of Durant as well, but that's, you know, a little bit different. And okay, you know, you, what, what do you do with that? And Iguodala probably still, you know, you're not going to ramp up his minutes until you absolutely have to. So that's probably the Western Conference Finals, depending on who they get and when, or if they get behind in a series. But DeMarcus Cousins, I, I think the biggest thing, this was a part of the Dallas game and numerous other ones recently, is that, you know, he's been better defensively overall than before, but it is still the most obvious place for teams to attack. And while Dallas, you know, it wasn't like they were killing at the center spot. They just were starting almost every possession with a high screen and roll with DeMarcus Cousins' man. And then they were creating a seam and then using that seam to get somebody else open. That is going to be a very common occurrence. And it's not a surprise that of the Warriors, you know, real options as the fifth guy next to the four, the four all-stars as, as you know, we would define it with Draymond, KD, Steph, and Clay. They've defended worse with Cousins, and incidentally, they've also been worse offensively with Cousins than the other guys, though I think that part of it is getting better over the last couple weeks, too. Cousins does provide an element that they haven't had, but I mean, we've seen this team struggle to score in maybe like three games in since Kevin Durant came together with this group in the playoffs, so he's adding something to something that doesn't really you know there's only he actually especially since he's not shooting it all that well from three he finally does you know because everyone's like oh they only have one ball like they're gonna fail like no those guys actually all fit together really well but cousins is at the point now where if he's gonna operate he's not as efficient as those other guys he actually does take some off the table you know he's more of an offensive floor raiser than he is a a guy who works as well with especially if he's not hitting the three ball so there might be a few matchups where he's gonna add something bench units i think he could still really give them a place to go uh some shot creation where those units maybe wouldn't be as efficient so his brand of shot creation helps out and then obviously the same defensive concerns that you mentioned so i i'm inclined to think no i mean against the absolute best teams more of a 25 minute a game guy uh but we'll see you know i mean whoever comes out of the east almost uh, all of those teams are going to have a big center now you don't want to guard brooke lopez necessarily with your center but uh so it's almost as if perhaps like they might get suckered into playing cousins more in the finals because those teams have a big center and it oh we have to match up you know Kerr. Oh, but but kerr would never do that oh my god uh and so but in the west against houston i mean i think really houston is the one team maybe the blazers as well with their pick and roll game but the, those that's the one team where you're like all right if we play cousins like he's gonna be a liability against this team even though he you know he did have a good game against them a couple weeks ago so uh let's see what else we got for uh the warriors a question from david and a bunch of numbers uh if your goal was to maximize the warriors missing the finals so if you were so basically what would be basically who would be the worst opponents for them to face now the first round it's really only going to be the clippers of the spurs unless okc just really just trashes it so uh, I, w- I don't know i mean they're they're only projected i mean th- that was a huge win for okc against uh, toronto and it was of, like their seating but i mean it's quite possible that the jazz or thunder could fall down to, to eighth or that the warriors could only be seven second. yeah i guess so, that's true i so, was yeah, thinking I, of it more I, I as the eighth spot. Those- I think all those teams are really still in play. And even the Blazers, you know, CJ looks like he's going to be out for the rest 
of the regular season or close to it so you know you could see them possibly faltering a so little bit. so i mean the worst matchup for me for the warriors is, is the rockets so the rockets are obviously on that list second hmm i mean they've played the blazers very well over the last few years so i don't think it i would probably go okc just because of their defensive ceiling and i mean the thunder have had some really really good games against the warriors and then I, you know i are we, should we eliminate the Nuggets here? I mean, I th- no, no. I think they're. I think they're third. Okay, yeah, it, because I, I mean, while I, I predict that the Warriors will steamroll the Nuggets and the Nuggets aren't going to be able to guard them, they do provide a different element. You know, and and Jokic could be someone that they just wouldn't be able to deal with. So it's not, and you know, there's the whole altitude thing as well, and like, so it went like I don't think any of these teams. Are, you would you the Jazz don't scare you at all. I, I think the Warriors will just guard the Jazz too well. That's yeah, and is, huh? and the the biggest question for the Warriors against the Jazz is going to be, will they overhelp? Because that's how they could kind of let Utah out of it. And I think they would do that for like a game or two and then figure it out and be okay. And, and I don't think the Thunder can score on the Warriors either when they're, they're engaged. Yeah, uh, I, but, I don't, I don't yeah. either. But it could be kind of a parallel of last year's Rockets series, not in terms of scheme, but in terms of the Rockets, the Thunder in this case, slowing it down enough that it's just ugly and that they would pull a couple of those games because they have really good talent yeah but rockets to me are are quite above uh, anyone else um all right let's uh talk to you about lending club whether it's unexpected repairs medical expenses credit card debt sometimes a little money can make a big difference when i was coming out of law school i actually had a fair amount of credit card debt and i wish uh, i'd known about lending club at that time because they give you access to low rates on loans of up to forty thousand dollars for almost any purpose and it's a lot easier than going to a bank offers lower rates than high interest credit cards the way to get started then is you go to lendingclub.com enter the amount that you need and you can see if you're approved in minutes you pick the offer that's right for you and the money can be in your account just days later they've been around now for more than 10 years and helped millions of people with over 31 billion dollars in loans take charge of your finances today with lending club the way to get started with them lendingclub.com slash cap space that'll let you check your rate for free and it won't impact your credit score unlike some others that's lendingclub.com slash cap space easier slash cap space because we talk about cap space all the time here on the program lendingclub.com slash cap space all loans made by web bank member fdic equal housing lender who's up next here Danny? next up is the recently mentioned houston rockets the rockets are 46 and 27 eight and two since the last time we hit them in a 15 and 60 plus three net rating is 11th they're third in offense 20th in defense which is an improvement i think they were like 24th the last time we did this 538 projects them to win 52 games which would be third in the western conference which is of course where they are right now question from houdini nba do you think the Rockets can repeat the performance they had last year against the Warriors? If the answer is no, what changed? Is a reason that important? And this has come up a few times for me in various capacities. And I think that something that happens for various reasons is that people try to parallel things and and it often does a disservice to the great thing that happened before. So like the, for people say like, oh, Dwayne Wade never lost it or always like that. Or with this Rockets team, they've been great. Like they have a they have a, a plus six, six net rating since February 1st. That's not what they were last year. Last year, they were they were the best team in the league in the regular season. They were absolutely awesome. And they're closer to that than they were at the start of the year. But 
to argue, oh, well, they're, they can repeat, they're the same as before. No, it'll be a different version, and I would say an inferior version of the same thing. Now, it's a different Warriors team. There are a lot of other things that can happen. They got so close last year, Chris Paul got hurt. But I just wanted to make that point that saying, oh, well, these are like the same Rockets or something does a disservice to how unbelievably great this team was last year. Yeah, and they were really, really good last year with the 65 wins, and that team would have strolled to an NBA championship in most years. I think the number one difference, though, and part of this is, you know, the difference in how they match up with the Warriors. Part of it is just the difference in why they're overall worst regular season team. Chris Paul, durability, not being as explosive, not as strong defensively. That's a, a big one to me. I felt that Clint Capella, when they were doing more switching with him early in the season, maybe he's better now, but he came in a little bit out of shape and you know he was getting beat one-on-one a lot more uh so that that was a big part of why they were able to be successful last year third yes the loss of Ariza I think while the Warriors would get some switches when Ariza was matched up one-on-one against Durant he's one of the few guys I've actually seen who's been able to slow him down pretty well in the playoffs like those one-on-one matchups between him and Ariza usually went Ariza's way in that series last year and you know certainly KD was able to have some big games but a lot of that was uh, against some other players not necessarily Ariza so at least having a primary matchup that worked well in the post against Durant uh, they don't have that any longer um PJ Tucker is a year older he's not as good this year defensively either um now the one argument you might make is that Harden is better this year he had a better regular season the step back three is even more deadly we haven't seen that go in in the playoffs we talked about this extensively in our top 10 players maybe this is the year that he just can't be stopped in the playoffs and I'm not foreclosing that possibility but I'm not going to believe that until it happens um anything else you wanted to add there as far as differences well i think one thing is just the the lack of number of capable options especially at the forward line i mean so yeah ariza was a lot better than mba mute in that series but i thought they had more guys i mean gerald green played very well in that warrior series yeah, last year it, it, he was way over his head in that series yeah so maybe he does that again it's it's entirely possible and like so they're going to be turning more to like daniel house and maybe they might even be playing traditional centers more now that they have a kind of a different rotation there. I don't think that works particularly well against Golden State. So yeah, yeah Farid is going to get completely destroyed. Yeah. So th- I think that's an- another weakness is just that they don't have as many options. And maybe maybe some of these guys work out. Maybe House just delivers. Maybe, you know, Austin Rivers looks good in that series. He has. There have been moments in time where he's defended Steph Curry well. But you know, if we're playing, if we're playing, you know, expected value here, I'm going to expect less of that rotation than I did last year. And that's an important, important thing. And that ties in with the next question, which is from. Well, well hold on. One other question here. Okay, you, fine. On that. Are the Warriors going to be, uh, if you had to predict, are they better or worse this year? I'm trying to remember who was hurt. So Iguodala missed part of that series. Yeah, he, he didn't play after game three. And then Curry had just returned from the MCL yeah. uh, in, in uh, game two of that Pell series. So hard so, to say he was at absolutely 100%, although he obviously he was good enough in the end. So I would say they're they're worse on talent, but better on health. And I think that's more important. So I'll say as of right now, now, obviously a lot can change over the next two months. But for right now, I would say the Warriors are, are I would expect them to be better in this in that series, theoretically Western Conference Finals, than they were last one, mostly because of health. Though. Yeah, and I think Iguodala actually looks better this year. than. He oh, absolutely. He, um, he totally does. Okay, sorry. What's the next question? Uh, so the next question is, who cracks the Rockets playoff rotation and how could it change based on who they play? Like, so they could, the, the questioner asks, thinks that playing the Blazers, you could put, put different guys out there than the Jazz. 
Mike D'Antoni historically has played a very small playoff rotation. I think that is a good thing as long as you're not overworking your guys too early relative to how long you want to go. I mean, so if we assume whether they, I, I think as of right now, it looks like they're going to start EG, like that they're, they're five guys, their five starters are going to be get the lion share of the minutes. That's Paul Harden, Eric Gordon, PJ Tucker, Clay Capella. Even if they don't start all five of those guys, those are going to be the five leading minutes yeah. guys. Outs, outside of that group, they're going to play one center primarily. I think that'll probably be Ken Fareed if he's healthy. I think he's, he's been out of the rotation lately. Actually. He has, I mean, but he's been dealing with health stuff. So like, yeah. I, I, I'm guessing that it's going to be him. I'm not sure of that, but it'll be one of them. Like they just I, say yeah, center. I, I think when it really gets down to it, it'll, they'll just go. I mean, cause go last year PJ. against the Warriors. Yep. Yeah. It was PJ Tucker at center or and Clint Capella. Capella and PJ yeah, Tucker. They could go there. Two minutes a game. So then, I mean, I think Austin Rivers will be a part of it. I think I mean, he's, he's also, I mean, he's been dealing with some health stuff too. I, I think he'll be in it. I think House probably has a pretty good shot. You could see Shumpert, but I don't expect that. I'd, I'd guess that Gerald Green is over Shumpert just because Austin Rivers kind of duplicates some of that stuff and Gerald Green is more combustible offensively. Yeah. Rivers has been out of the rotation the last couple of games too. He has. And, but I think a lot of that stuff is, you know, just getting guys ready and health and all that. Cause I mean, Fareed and, and Austin Rivers were dealing with, were dealing with injuries that kept them out of some games. And so yeah. I think then it's just like, you want to be patient with them. So yeah, I think it's something kind of along, along those lines. And then maybe you play a hot hand, you try a couple of guys out for a few minutes and if they play well you move forward yeah. I, I think house is going to actually be the sixth man I, I i would not surprise me if he plays like the six most minutes on this team in the playoffs it wouldn't surprise me either i could also see d'antoni going with austin rivers in that spot just trusting him and you know he he is definitely more tested than daniel house at this point all right, Dan, let's move on to the fourth place team in the Western Conference. Uh, who Who is that today? That's the Portland Trailblazers. The Blazers are 45 and 27. They're actually three games clear of that next group at 30 losses. And I like to think of losses for, for good teams. Their Blazers are six and three since the last 1560. They are now up to seventh in net rating, fourth in offense, 17th in defense. 538 projects that they will stay in this fourth spot and win 51 games in the whole season. They're going to make the playoffs. They haven't clinched yet, but they're going to. Um, on that, I, I just wanted to make what I consider a clarification on that, that Damian Lillard thing. Like it, it kind of been aggregated a few places about like Lillard thinking CJ is going to be out for the remainder of the regular season. My interpretation, I went through the quote cause I thought that was an unusual thing for a player to say was that that's his mindset that he's basically in his mind, CJ's out for the rest of the regular season. That means I need to put it on. And he's had some absolutely massive performances during this time. I mean, we'll talk about that in all NBA, possibly in the MVP part when we do awards. I mean, he's, he's working his way into bigger conversations than he was in before, but now it's probably not the right time to do that because we have a bunch of good questions for them. And we can start with this one I think I think is interesting from um, Peyton PDX. Lillard is averaging around 30 and 10 on very good true shooting since March 5th. Has he unlocked a new level of players? This too small a sample size. You know, local people think he's grown beyond it. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in the top 10 player stuff. I mean, I think we're at the point now where if you have Damian Lillard on your team, as long as you have reasonable surrounding talent, you're going to have a really good offense. I think he's been incredibly dominant. I've been super impressed with what he has done without CJ out there. And I don't think he's at, at this point, especially when you consider the last time he was in the playoffs, he was schemable. Now, some of that was because they put the ball in other people's hands and those people couldn't deliver. But I don't think he's reached that totally like that, that rarefied error yet. But he is closer to that point than he has ever been. And so I'm, I'm more open to it. And also off the top of my head, I don't think there's a team, maybe, maybe OKC could do it depending on how they structure their defense that can do exactly what 
New Orleans was so successful attacking last year. Yeah, they don't necessarily have a Drew Holiday, though Holiday didn't guard Dame that much during that series. And again, it was really the getting the ball out of his hands that, that made things so difficult. And probably even more so in that series, frankly, the vets that they had absolutely zero answers defensively for that New Orleans team, which is a that team is a nasty offensive team. I mean, if they could have put that whole group together again this year, it would have really been interested to see what it could have been. Uh, so I, I don't know. This is another one we'll just have to see with Dame Lillard. But I mean, there are very few players in the NBA that you can't just like get the ball out of their hands. It's just a question of what happens when you do. Now, Lillard, I think due to his smaller size, is a little more susceptible to that than say a James Harden. And James Harden is, you know, one of the best pocket passers we've ever seen. He always hits that guy on time and on target if he gets strapped. You know, and Lillard, we haven't seen that. You know, he ends up kind of getting pushed away from the basket anymore. He has to throw it over the top. The defense has more time to recover. You know, he's not getting the guy on the move going towards the basket into a four on three every time the way some you know lebron for example can do that you know guys who steph curry could throw it to dream on green who's you know more of a playmaker than anyone that portland has you know, i mean i think part of the problem too was when a lot of those traps were with alfruk aminu's man when he was trying to set a screen and aminu is not a good decision maker at all so i think it's going to be more about his teammates than than dame but also dame shot it poorly last year you know i mean when he was able to get the shot off it, it did not go in um blazers are currently second in offensive rebounding percentage and total rebounds per 100 possessions per basketball reference will their current rebounding success continue into the playoffs given the limitations of the bench bigs and yeah i mean i think ennis Cantor. uh depending on who they play if they play the jazz they're going to be in big time trouble because the jazz run more pick and rolls than any team in the nba if they play the thunder i actually think that Cantor could hold up reasonably well the Spurs cancer could hold up reasonably well. He actually had probably his uh, best moments as an NBA player in that second round series for OKC against the Spurs a couple of years ago. Uh, different Spurs team, but similar philosophy in terms of not that much spacing, not that much pick and roll. Um, Inc- incidentally, I think you'd be completely screwed against the Clippers with the depending oh God, on, on how yeah. Doc structures the rotation. Well, yeah, because Lou Williams will be out there for mm-hmm. probably every moment that cancer is out. There. That's a great point. Um, but looking unlikely that they would end up playing the Clippers. Um, I mean and, the. Clip- the Clippers could work their way to the six. It's yeah. possible. Yeah. So if Cantor's not out there, I mean, Collins is an okay offensive rebounder. Are they going to go with Myers Leonard? Is it. Is- you know the, the, this bench is uh well, and then the other point is can you commit as hard to going after offensive rebounds against teams that are this good that can attack you and transition and everything sure. else like there i think you can be you can be exploited more for that approach and so maybe you turn away from from offensive rebounding for that reason they should be a, a solid defensive rebounding team i see i see no reason why yeah. they'll shift that and i don't I, think they'll go as small as other teams do which will presumably help i, I do think if they play against houston yeah cancer may not be playable but i do think that yusuf nurkic is going to absolutely destroy them oh i mean we saw that remember that regular season game last year that well, was yeah and, and also like the deep post-ups as well like mm-hmm. they'll i mean i think that like Nur- the thing is like people w- might want to say you know nurkic you know, playing off the floor like he's been their second best player this year it, a lot of the time so right now i do think though that the drop coverage stuff against the rockets will be really I, dangerous I, I mean they're just gonna have to outscore them i mean that's, yeah that's, but that's i guess that's the idea yeah and and so that's why you know the offensive glass could be a big part of that um you know get guys in foul trouble and uh you know houston how are they gonna look if capella gets in a foul trouble um 
So, but no, I, I don't think they're because Cantor, I think, is going to be in can't play him territory against most teams. It's not going to hold up quite as well. But I do expect Nurkic to have a, a lot of success in the offensive glass. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one, but from Greg Pace, Ohio, for Portland, what is the minimum playoff outcome they need to reach before the season is considered a failure? Like, basically, what, when do they run it back with same court well, and same coach next year? Portland has an overwhelming proportion of their guys under contract, and it is impractical. I would argue borderline unreasonable for them to tear it down because they're too good. So you can't do the like Kiki Vandaway with the Nuggets, you know, like strip it all away, get some good draft picks and be bad. They have too much talent. And so in that circumstance, like, do you want to take a step back and be like an eight seed to trade Dame or CJ or somebody like that? And, you know, maybe you listen to those sort of offers. I don't think you really fire Terry Stotts unless you have a better coach lined up. I was vehemently opposed to firing him last year, which thankfully they did well, not well, do. Well, let's see, let's see how they do in the playoffs this year. Because if Stotts, if you have a thing like with the trapping with New Orleans last year where he just doesn't have answers you know and it looks like you really there's schematic things that are killing you if that happens again then you know i might consider it a little bit more but but, but, but I, like, I what, what, what would you what job. would you is there a, I, I can't think of off the top of my head maybe they know something like i don't know somebody like chris finch or something like somebody who because it would have to be somebody outside of the box because i haven't seen yeah. like it's also hard to well, do I, I mean you could make the argument if they if they get waxed in the playoffs again that you know stats is kind of like Dwayne casey i mean especially if they're the favorite in the series and they lose you can make the argument that like and, and if they lose Dwayne badly casey like four West. or five games yeah. like something like that yeah right, right. And, well and, but really you know you you said you didn't want to spend a ton of time on this and, and we already out of time here but to me people say oh you know considered a failure who's deciding that well there's actually there's only one man who's going to make that decision and that's dame willard if dame willard makes the decision that hey you know what we just got waxed in the playoffs again yeah we had all this regular season success but my prime is wasting away and i would like to be moved also the with the ownership situation in flux that's a, another wild card but really i mean dame willard is the one who's going to make the decision i think of whether it's a failure or not you know and maybe neil o'shea uh, to a lesser extent from with the coaching I mean, yeah Al Camino is really the one the one guy who's uh is gonna be a, a free agent here but that's a, a big part of what they're doing so but that i mean that's really you know so anthony davis last year right it, you would say oh man this pelican season was such a success last year and yet there was always a feeling like well he wasn't particularly mollified by that uh and, and also maybe to some extent if they were to be the four seed and the warriors get the one and then they get waxed by the warriors then katie leaves you know maybe that's a reason to think oh well now maybe we can compete against the warriors just because katie is gone so there's a lot of things that play there but really it's you know what's good enough for dame lord to me for dame to really feel good about things that you have to be very competitive in a second round loss loss at minimum and Lillard has enough time on his contract is two you know two years left after this year that you could run the run it of like play see how the start of next season goes but I mean it it's hard once a guy says and this will once a guy says I don't like this isn't where I want to be it's often really hard to change their mind even if you play well enough that it might that's just it as a practical matter once you once you cross that Rubicon you can't really get back and and I think that's a, a good point to bring up and it's also unusual for an audience of one to like to not be the owner you know that it, it partially because of their uncertain circumstances partially because Lillard has so much authority over his own process and so you know I think overall that's a good thing for the league for a good thing for the players at least but it is different so we'll keep an eye on that we'll move on to 
the the five and there are three teams tied here so i'll kind of use 538's projection as the tiebreaker which means that we go to the utah jazz because they have the softest remaining schedule the jazz are 43 and 30 seven and four since the last 1560 and if you ever wanted to see what a disappointing seven and four stretch looked like it would in many ways be this for the jazz just because they've lost some games that they quote unquote should win moved out of really the conversation for the top three maybe four seeds they're third in net rating at plus 5.8 15th in offense still first in defense 538 projects them to finish fifth and they're going to make the playoffs and so i wanted to start with this this isn't a question but just a a quick note since we talked about the rockets you know since february 1st when i was looking that up and just like how they've done the rockets you know plus six six net rating that's very very good the jazz have a plus 10 net rating since the same february 1st but they're 14 and 7 which is actually worse than the rockets because they've underperformed their points differential they've lost some close games they've lost to you know some teams they didn't and interestingly the second best net rating during that time is the orlando magic who are also 14 and 7 because of underperforming their point differential so i just i just found that interesting also interesting is this question if utah ends up playing a playoff opponent with a ranger five uh antonio baby asks this question uh eg denver that can draw gobert away from the paint how do they adjust slash compensate on defense and i think to me it's not necessarily the rangier five as it is great guards that can pull off the pick and roll and make gobert get way way out on the floor uh now he has improved so much in in that regard i mean to see you really got to have like an austin palmer i don't think that Jokic actually is that like he is not his release is pretty slow he'll shoot some threes but that's not really what he wants his bread and butter to be he wants to handle the ball at the elbows he wants to post up he wants to hit the offensive glass he wants to make passes like just stationing him out there to draw gobert away from the rim i don't think is a big part of his game um and i thought that that gobert did a really nice job on Jokic and the nuggets in that last game that the jazz won in denver um so that doesn't bother me as much as it does going against the guy who really can pull it off the pick and roll and that's not necessarily james harden by that's, the way you that's know, damian I, lillard or yeah, steph curry yeah, it's it's lillard it's steph curry those are the guys and also or clay thompson i mean teams where the team center sets a screen the guy comes off the screen and you're not going to switch that now you're just going to get the guy wide open coming off the screen yeah like it could um, be it could be a flare or a couple other things as well yeah yeah so but you know i mean i think it, gobert to me has been effective in playoff matchups unless he was going against kevin durant on high pick and roll in that 2017 matchup against golden state um and now recall too that gobert looked like he was going to be done for the playoffs with an injury early in that series against the clippers and so he wasn't 100 percent there and i think he's also has, has gotten better so we'll see what happens with uh, if uh utah and golden state matchup we may not even see that matchup necessarily but you know i love the okc matchup for them portland is going to be a very very interesting one as well i mean some of those those teams have like taken turns blowing each other out a lot of times in the last couple of regular seasons so uh very interested to see how that turns out uh i wanted to mention one other i want to mention one other thing which is in certain matchups and denver could be one of those you could even try putting gobert on someone else like paul Millsap. sure and and the and the logic there being I, and I could even see like if I were, if I were playing against the Rockets, I would consider putting Gobert on PJ Tucker and just being like, okay, if PJ Tucker is going to hit a bunch of threes and that's going to cost us the series, so be it. You know, like you go into that sort of that sort of a mindset. Like you could you could yeah. try that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's like the only thing in your the only tool in your toolbox, but it's something worth considering in those circumstances because there there are a lot of teams that don't have a hiding that have a hiding spot, and not that Gobert needs one, but basically the idea is if you want to try to not take him away from the back, 
basket, I think you can force some other teams into really bad choices. Well, and really, who are these stretch centers in the Western Conference? I don't really see who who that is. I mean, maybe it's Tucker if they're going with Tucker at the five. But Tucker, you know, he's been off and on with the three-point shot, much more dangerous from the corners, obviously. I mean, DeMarcus isn't hitting threes. Yeah. Jokic yeah. can. I mean, but Jokic isn't yeah. entirely different because of his fun- his functioning in the offense. Yeah. If all you're doing is making him a screener, even if it are like a handoff guy, then, I mean, that takes away some of what Denver yeah. does so well. Incidentally, I, I think I would still, maybe when they're going with favors and Gobert together, you might put Gobert on Millsap. But I think Jokic's post-up ability is so good and Gobert can take that away. I think you would want to leave him on uh on Jokic. Uh, let's do a couple other questions here. Where do you want to go next? Yeah, I was. Uh, let's do from Awesome Destroyer. How much does the loss of Dante Exum hurt the Jazz in the playoffs? Are they a more formidable team in this year's playoffs than last? I think. I, I think they're pretty. You know, they're pretty similar overall. I do think that last year's OKC team was a very favorable matchup for them, partially because they were playing Carmelo Anthony and their their specific limitations. You know, OKC when last year they were just like driving so much, and that doesn't work very well against Rudy Gobert. So. So I think I think on paper the Jazz are a better team in in my opinion. I think they they're got playing Corver this year. That's yeah, the biggest difference. They're playing but, better. But well, and, and Mich- a... I w- Mitchell, I would say Mitchell. You know, even if necessarily the stats aren't there, I think he's he's a better player. You know, he's he's yeah. improving with time. Sure. And and that's more important than like oh he's putting up different stats. Yeah. It's, it's what can, what tools. Also, Rubio was basically done after I think right. it was game five of the OKC series. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I would say they're better, but that doesn't mean they're gonna they might face a tougher matchup, and so they might not have as good of an outcome come and how much does the loss of exum hurt them i mean not that much i, I i've thought of exum even when he's healthy as being a, a an overrated player he doesn't really create as much offense and he's a capable defensive player but not just like fantastic in that way and they can fill those bench guard minutes in a lot of different ways and so it they'd rather have him than not obviously but i don't think it's going to be like the reason that their bench units are in big trouble or anything like that i think he matched up well against both the warriors and houston mm-hmm. with his quick attack penetration that was just you know uh, off of, against switches when he'd get swung the ball and he could attack quickly as they tried to close out him and, and then you know, having another solid defender he played good defense on Harden in that series last year but kind of an offensive liability I think against some other teams he doesn't do that much Corver incidentally getting back to just whether they're a better team this year or not Corver is one of the more regular season friendly players both because you're more prepared for him from a scouting standpoint in a series just we can't leave him you know here are some of the pet plays they like to run for him and even more so on defense i mean the rockets just imagine how much they're going to target him if those two teams match up um looking like houston will be on the opposite side of the bracket from utah which uh you know could be good or bad uh and golden state too i mean corver it's really difficult to keep him on the floor they've got the the best guy in the league to have corver on the floor with and rudy gobert but uh i mean corver is definitely uh gonna struggle out on the perimeter defensively at this point in time um all right let's move on here who is next in the standings that would be well, we're continuing with the tie. I'm going to go with OKC. Okay. The Thunder are, they're also 43 and 30. A disappointing, deeply disappointing four and six since the last time we covered them. Plus 3.9 net rating is eighth in the league, 16th in offense, strong, still third in defense. 538 projects them to win 49 games, which would be sixth, which would mean we'd see an OKC Houston series, which would be very, very interesting. And they're obviously going to make the playoffs. And uh, so I want to start with a question from S Master 4Bit. Has Terrence Ferguson affirmed, established himself as OKC's long-term starting two guard? 
He has shown a massive improvement on defense and shot making. So I'm a little bit more ambivalent on Terrence Ferguson's season than I think people within OKC are, just because while he has gotten better at what he is, he is still like, he hasn't changed the box, you know, he, but he's a better version of that guy. And that being said, yes, he has. And a big part of the reason why is because it's so hard for them to get somebody else. Now, I still think Hamadou Diallo is going to be really interesting if he can get together. Like the first off season for a young guy is really important to see what they can add, what they can develop. And, but so that said, like, I think Diallo could get there. I don't expect it. Ferguson does a nice job of, of filling the needs that they have. I do have like the growth that he's shown defensively this year. He's getting more confident in his jump shot and they don't really necessarily need a guy who can be a secondary creator when you have Paul George and Russell Westbrook on the floor together. So there are better, like, it's not like Terrence Ferguson is a perfect answer here. It's not like he's Clay Thompson or something else, but they're the maximum amount that they have to work with is the mid-level exception, the taxpayer mid-level exception. And unless unless they got like the perfect player to take a pay cut, practically speaking, they're not going to get somebody better than Terrence Ferguson. So he's their long-term starting two for a couple different reasons. What's the biggest difference in their defense from when it was top ranked to now? Asked Stephen Mills, the schedule, if you had to pick the one thing, the schedule, it's just they had an easy schedule and they had one of the hardest schedules down at the end. Um, this is a question that, I think is really interesting. Where does this Paul George season rank all time for OKC? So really, you're we're not obviously going back to the Sonics days. So you're really looking at Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook seasons. James Harden you know, wasn't that good at, at that point in time. He was still a, a six man. So what seasons is he clearly behind? Well, the KD MVP season, KD was the best regular season player in the NBA that year. He was led the NBA in minutes, led the NBA in PR, 64% true shooting, 33 usage, basically led the NBA in just about every major all-in-one category that season in, in terms of the box score rate shot 39 percent from three on a pretty high attempt rate got to the foul line a ton he was 80 percent at the rim that year <laughs> he had some nasty dunks that year actually uh so that's clearly better i think the russ mvp season especially when you throw in the clutch performance is better i mean the the and uh highest usage ever slightly above league average efficiency that season um and then i think there's quite a few other kd seasons that i would put above what george is doing this year i mean uh, i think i think kevin durant his his non-mvp okc seasons are underappreciated maybe just be like those were especially offensively those were some ridiculous ones i mean his 12 13 season was just remarkable yeah i mean I and mean, that was a, that was a, that team actually had a better point differential than the heat that year i mean they uh, that russell westbrook injury is one of the all-time what-ifs in that first round against uh when Patrick Beverly went into his knee uh against Houston um so yeah I mean that season for KD you would have to say is ahead of it probably 15-16 for KD would have to be ahead of it as well uh 11-12 especially when you throw in that they made the finals that year um you know that for KD would have to be ahead of it as well I don't think any rust seasons other than the MVP year would I put ahead of it maybe I would agree with that uh I mean he had a a good playoffs in if we're talking just straight regular seasons but he had a good playoffs in in 2012 um had had a fair number of seasons where he missed some games too you know 13-14 he had like the the multiple surgeries after the playoff injury the year before um only played 67 
games in 14-15 as well although that was that was kind of a precursor once KD went down of what 16-17 would be so yeah I'd say just the MVP Russ season and then maybe like five other KD seasons uh, are better than what George has done this year and I mean Paul George is having one hell of a year I mean people know where I put him in the MVP rankings the last time we did it but those like Kevin Durant was completely ridiculous like during those years and also Paul George has taken a step back you know since since then and that that happens you know they're playing better opponents and all that kind of stuff so that and that's also why you look at full seasons compared to full seasons so maybe he gets a little bit better there we question from nathan matisse given how the thunder looked like conference finals contenders a month ago what is the better spot for them now fighting back into that four or five or backsliding into six seven so if your goal is to win the western conference you know to make the nba finals in okc standpoint i think you want to avoid the warriors as far as you can because then there's a higher possibility that they lose so then that would mean being on the other side and since i don't think it's really realistic unless they just go off to go to get all the way to the three then i would say being in the six seven is better now you increase the downside risk of not getting out of the first round at all and so that that is a reasonable thing but if we're defining well, yeah, it as, they, they better not play houston in the first round I, right i think they 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 probably like their matchup i don't know if i agree against most of, I, I think actually the jazz would be the team i would second least want to play outside of houston in that group um, so, we're, now, so are you not counting the warriors in that because well yeah yeah i'm not counting the words that's obviously number one i mean they have struggled against denver and have struggled against Jokic uh the last couple of years but i still think we know that the jazz match up very well against them in the playoff setting already and i think like now george is better this year and they're not going to have carmelo anthony as an open sword to pick on all the time but i do think and i think quinn snyder uh his coaching is uh is a big advantage over billy donovan whereas you know i wouldn't say that denver would have a huge coaching advantage so i would i would actually say in terms of the who would they least want to play outside of golden state houston utah then i mean what do you think portland or or denver next probably probably portland or, or probably denver next just because of the way Jokic has uh, been trolled for them the regular season and then and i think portland with their athletes and the way they're able to put two on the ball in similar fashion to what new orleans did last year i think they can uh match up reasonably well against the blazers the blazers don't have anyone to guard paul george either so uh that's uh i think blazers would be uh they wouldn't mind that matchup as well that's probably who they most of the teams they realistically could play that's probably the matchup that would be most enticing but neither of those are like uh, none of those are great matchups for okc i'm not sure i would favor okc in any of those series as well, of now though we and, have to and really think about it more that's one quick thing i wanted to mention i had this in the notes before we decided to do a mailbag was that i watched that miami game a, f- a fair portion of that and what it reminded me of yeah miami was more successful in the zone and russ didn't play in that game but it reminded me of just that oklahoma city compared to a lot of these really strong teams in the west i think they're the easiest offensively to scheme against now oh, their yeah. defense their defense is a gigantic yeah. pay, i mean uh, pain unless the george defense. just goes crazy i mean that's your only thing that's like really difficult to deal with and the offensive rebounding i guess yeah the offensive rebounding is there too but like you can there are a couple of different approaches you can do i mean you could try to you know smother paul george you can like you can try to bait russ into shots you could you know like you can force terrence ferguson to beat you or jeremy grant you know grant's another one of those like shooting a high percentage but are you if you leave him open to defend guys at the rim or to help and all that are you worried about him just like going like six for 10 from three in a game against you? You know, probably not. So that is a big concern 
like you don't you don't want to be a team that's easy to scheme against because then teams can find even if they don't find the right answer they can find a good answer and then that creates problems okay so that now leaves us with the the la clippers oh yeah so the la clippers are the final of the three teams at 43 and 30 they are a remarkable seven and one since the last 15 and 60 they're now up to a plus 0.8 net rating which puts them 13th in the league 10th in offense 18th in defense still better than i thought yeah yeah that defensive number has risen quite a bit yeah they were i think 22nd and then i think they were 20 like 25th like because they had this they were good early in the year but we always thought it was fool's gold then they dropped down again and then they made their way back up a little bit and so 538 projects them to finish tied with the spurs for for the seventh best record i do not know how the tiebreaker works we'll get closer to that later on and they're going to make the playoffs we know that which is amazing um can i make a quick notation here just overall sure i think we've seen this with the jazz last year seeing it with the clippers this year i think it's actually a pretty big advantage to have a we saw it with uh, the sixers last year as well maybe a little bit less so now with the new lottery rules but i think it's a pretty big advantage to have your games against bad teams be late in the year as opposed to early even if you could feel like i mean now new orleans i don't i forget what the exact distribution of their schedule was like every once in a while you'll see a team just kind of fall under the weight of like all right we're 500 and we're gonna kind of just have to pack it in or you know guys want to be traded or whatever but generally i think those games against bad teams are so much easier late in the year whether it's because those teams have traded away veteran contributors whether it's because those teams are actively tanking whether it's because those teams are like ah you know there's no reason for guys to try and fight back to you know who are injured we'll just you know shut them down for the last two or three weeks of the season you know whether it's just hey we want to see what uh, these guys and the these rookies or, or guys in the end of bench can do just you know legitimately developing whatever it is the difference between bad teams at the start of the year and bad teams at the end of the year is usually a pretty big one i i if i were me i would rather have my schedule be easy at the end of the year as opposed to easy at the start of the year yeah and it also the idea of momentum and there, there are a couple i think that's a good point so first question is would the clippers i'll frame it a little bit differently but would the clippers prefer to play denver or houston in the first round oh i mean everybody and their brother would rather play denver right i'd be the clippers just don't have that many guys to put on james harden i mean they have it's funny because the clippers have a bunch of guys who have played with james harden you know beverly and and mbamute granted mbamute's basically not played this entire season among them but the clippers just don't have the right personnel for that you know their their centers are are not really good switch guys their perimeter guys are pretty much either too small or too thin or don't move their feet well enough so i think the rockets are a nightmare matchup for them also i can imagine chris paul just being super up for that series and that that could be a problem also i mean chris paul just depending on how the clippers want to structure their their normal kind of screen and roll stuff i think that's a big problem so yeah i would much 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 rather play denver than houston with the clippers specific strengths weaknesses and personnel here's an optimistics clippers fan uh b twitter says what do you make of the likely to be Kawhi gallo ford combo next year i mean i would say i I guess you can assess the likely to be the clippers are kind of universally considered to be the favorites for Kawhi. now does that make it likely over 50 percent chance he ends up with the clippers i'm not ready to say that yet um you know i might i might say that depending on what happens with toronto Toronto losing the second round then yeah i probably would move it up into the likely category not that i have any inside information on that necessarily but yeah i think that's a, a pretty positive combination 
both guys can space the floor for the other one of the two is always going to have a, a matchup advantage that you can go to um now we could see gallo get moved if they want to really uh bring in another max slot a, as well like to uh and just because his value is good at this point he stayed largely healthy this year had a really good season uh but no i i like the those two guys together uh you know Kawhi can guard whoever is the more difficult matchup uh, among the other teams forwards so yeah i think it's a pretty good combo that could be a very difficult one to stop to be sure i think there would be a, a a very good one the regular season there could be some times when gallo would get attacked in the playoffs but you know that's just the way it is i i, I think gallo is an underrated regular season player he's had a wonderful year this will come up when we do power forward rankings at some point but you have that and and i think this ties in with a question from sq real if the Clippers were to only land Kawhi in free agency, so no other max caliber guys, we can kind of think about how they would put the rest of the roster together. How should they be viewed as a contender next year? Would it be similar to this year's Raptors team, better or worse? My instinct is they would be worse than this year's Raptors team. I mean, the rap this Raptors group is really deep. They have a lot of amazing support players. I mean, you have like Danny Green and Pascal Siakam yeah. and the defense is the big question. And exactly. Like and so you so you get in there and Kyle Lowry, I mean shit, you got you got a really good good group of guys there. So they would be worse. But one big advantage that that Clippers team would have is if we're going to say that Kevin Durant leaves, then there there isn't a, a that real top team in all likelihood because presumably Kevin Durant's going to an inferior situation. So in that circumstance, then a lot more teams are contenders than are right now in a, kind of that form. But overall, I, I mean, they'd be materially worse than the Raptors. So, I mean, they're kind of there. They would be in that mix in the West, depending on how the rest of the team got put together. But I don't think they would be like this. They would they wouldn't start the season at the top of that pile. Yeah. Now, if they get Kawhi, they would have a, about 20 million or so in cap space to work with still. Uh, they would, are going to lose their draft pick uh, as well. So that they'll open up a little bit more space. Uh, they've, but Patrick Beverly, Jamichael Green, Garrett Temple, Wilson Chandler, all those guys uh, will be free. So they're really, the big hole they're going to have is starting center. You know, maybe Zubach will be a restricted free agent, but he is a small cap hole. They'll be able to bring him back, presumably. Maybe he's the starting center next year and they've still got uh, Trez off the bench. And so then you, they really need a point guard. They could hold on to Beverly's $9 million cap hold. I mean, I'd foresee them just signing some one-year deals and getting back out there in 2020 when Gallo expires so I think if they could a lot of it would depend you know how much does Shamit and Gilgis Alexander uh, how much do those guys take a step forward Lou Williams uh, another guy who's probably a better regular season guy than a playoff guy with his foul drawing his defensive concerns they would hopefully be able to minimize his role a little bit once they have Kawhi um so yeah I think a lot of it would depend on just what else they can get at point guard and how they can get a little bit better defensively I mean there's between Trez Zubach I mean those guys are not elite defensive centers if they could find a center option who could really be a plus on defense I think that could be good and, and you know they've, they've got all these depth guys they could in theory bring back as well uh, so I, I think they could if KD leaves they could certainly be in the mix if not necessarily the favorites and also they have some assets going forward now with that 2021 Miami pick they got Phillies 2020 first they could maybe even look to move Gilgis Alexander as well or Lou and, Williams if they wanted to go with a different structure yeah or or Gallo uh you know they they wouldn't necessarily have a lot of matching salary at first but maybe they if they sign guys in free agency 
they would be able to throw some of those assets in i mean because if you get Kawhi, they might just try and see how it goes and see if they can build something more sustainable with guys like shea and Shamit. but if you're kind of hovering around you know looking like you're 50 wins and a first round exit then maybe you throw some of those assets in and try to get the second star that way one one just stray thought before we move on if we hear Gallo get traded on draft night, then I'm going to go crazy because that's going to mean that they have something lined up. And that's entirely oh, for possible. Sure. And we could see one or two of those just like absolutely wild deck, like like clearing the deck trades on draft night or around the draft. Just be- And I mean, it could always be a team being overly optimistic, but I mean, it might not be. And that would be crazy. All right. Before we move on to the Spurs, I want to tell you about him. 66% of men start losing their hair by age 35. And I was one of them. I remember at my first year of law school, I was 24. I looked at a picture of myself and like, oh, wow, there's actually starting to lose it there around my temples. And so I looked into potential solutions. I started actually taking finasteride at that time though it was prescription it wasn't off patent yet it was, i mean it's still prescription but it wasn't off patent yet it was extremely expensive and that is now no longer the case you can actually get finasteride through hymns you can go to forhims.com which is a one-stop shop for hair loss skin care and sexual wellness for men my experience with them uh, has been great the finasteride has worked for me over the last almost 15 years now, I highly recommend it for anyone who is losing their hair. And Hims makes it far easier than ever before. You fill out a questionnaire, you take some photos of your head, submit it, and get a doctor recommendation all online. Then the products get shipped directly to your door. You don't have to go to the waiting room. No more in-person doctor's visits, which are going to take up a lot of your time during a workday. And because it's so easy, you're now more likely to continue to use it. You're not going to run out and then like take a while to get re-prescribed because you have to go back to the doctor's office. And right now, my listeners get a trial month of Hims for just $5 today while supplies last. See their website for full details, but this would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. For Hims dot com slash cap spaces that url easy to remember slash cap spaces we talk about all the time here on the program that's f-o-r-h-i-m-s dot com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url at forhims.com slash cap space to let them know that you came from us the san antonio spurs sit at 42 and 31 7 and 2 in their last nine their plus 1.5 net rating is 12th in the nba six ranked offense 21st ranked defense they project in a tie for the seventh seed at 47 wins they will make the playoffs they signed Dananis Matayunas uh, last seen having his agent pj armstrong screw up a big payday for him he has played in china the last two years averaging 27 points 14 rebounds and 4.2 assists those chinese sets don't mean a ton i mean i think the hope would be that mari yunis is chinese season presumably is over is able to be somewhat close to the player that we last saw before he had those back concerns remember that he got traded to detroit for a first round pick and detroit actually voided the trade because of those back concerns which ended up being a smart move for detroit uh so do you see Muddy Yunus helping them at all? It's good to have another option. You know, I, I don't think it's necessarily the most likely outcome. San Antonio has a bunch of front court guys that are, are capable. I mean, I've been so happy with the season Davis Bertans is having, for example. But having another guy is is a good thing for them. Now, I would have loved to have seen San Antonio if they're go- going to add that extra center. Now, I don't know who this would have been, but try to get somebody who's a more disruptive defensive player and, you know, like to go after, to go after you know, drivers and all that sort of stuff. And Pirtle isn't quite that guy, at least not yet. 
So that I think that was a more necessary archetype, but it's also fair to say, hey, that guy didn't exist. So might as well take a player, take a take a roll of the dice on a player who definitely has talent and who is has. Is there an indication on whether there's any kind of an option for next year? Or is this just? Right I haven't. Season? I haven't heard. Um, yeah, I so I don't. I don't want to say. I don't want to say either direction. I haven't seen anything there. So something that I enjoyed was almost every single one of the questions, with one exception, that we got on San Antonio has the name Derek White in it somewhere. And I think that's justified. You know, like Derek White's had an interesting year. So I think the one to start with, though, that's the mo- is is with from boat floating. Has the Spurs late season surge altered your perceptions of their longer term prospects? So more the young guys. So like have White and Pirtle's development in any way altered their post, you know, current guys trajectory? And my answer is yes. But not necessarily in it, not, not as strongly maybe as some Spurs fans would like, you know, so like, I, I've really enjoyed Derek White this year. I think that, you know, especially defensively, he's shown some real growth. This is his age 24 season, but I've, I really like the player that he is and the player that I think he's going to be. However, when you think about White and Pirtle and DeJounte Murray to an extent, I mean, we don't know exactly what he was going to be before the ACL injury. You know, we'd heard things about his jump shot and everything else. The concern that I have is that those players, to me, are all really intriguing, talented compliments. And then what you're setting up is, well, then you need to have them complement something. And those players are exceedingly hard to get, especially if you are as good as the Spurs have been. You know, they're not going to get probably a top five draft pick to get that guy in the draft. And remember, draft picks take some time. They're not really in a position to sign those guys over the next couple of years. So I wonder, especially because that's presumably going to be post-pop at some point, where like where that team gets that extra thing you know like maybe they end up in a situation where i've talked about this for the Orlando magic over a couple years where they have a lot of good compliments but they don't have that main guy so i like those players all meaningfully better this year you know white and and purple and purple better than i did last year but I still see their limitations if you're going for like, you know, making a conference finals or something like that. I was always real high on Pirtle. It was that's true. a disappointment to me that he wasn't able to be as effective early in the season. And, you know, sure, they had to navigate the whole thing with Gasol as well. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure that White is looking like he's going to be a star. And I've seen some guys develop out of nowhere for these Spurs teams before. But, you know, I think of him as being an effective starter, you know, that that type of player. So, yeah, you do wonder where the next star comes from for them and he's uh white is pretty athletic you know maybe they can get something out of lonnie walker white's not quite as good of a shooter to me to necessarily want to pair next to Dejounte murray we had a question on that as well of like how you reintegrate Dejounte. and i would love for them to minimize demar Derozan's role more um they've not been as effective with Derozan on the floor they've got aldridge already to provide that kind of iso bailout scoring when you need it Derozan to me has killed their defense they they need a long-term option at the three like so many teams do that they don't really have yet but you know if you're going to play DeRozan at the three which they kind of have to just because so many of their good players are guards uh that really hurts your defense quite a bit not only one-on-one but because DeRozan does little as a help defender he's improved his charge taking a little bit this year but overall still not a positive there um who do you want to see get the most touches in end of game situations for the Spurs I would like to see them do a better job getting DeRozan the good matchup against the other team's worst player um and Aldridge are the other ones I mean if you're really going to say who's going to get the touches who's the play going to be for you know those seem to be the guys pop has generally done a pretty good job of running plays for guys you wouldn't necessarily expect at the any games out of dead balls so there's always you know they'll run a hammer play in the opposite 
opposite quarter or they'll run guys off a stagger screen or something like that you know for their good shooters so they they can throw that in as well um but generally it is going to be DeRozan and Aldridge I favor Aldridge a little bit uh, compared to DeRozan but a lot of times it's hard to get the ball into the post so realistically it probably is going to be DeRozan and so the tried and true get him the matchup against the point guard work to the elbow try and score uh seems to be like the best they they're going to be able to do and you put some shooting around that it could be effective but I think it's really more about who else is going to be closing the games uh, that is going to determine things because I think it is pretty much fait accompli. It's going to be the DeRozan and, to a lesser extent, Aldridge show at the end. Let's jump to the Sacramento Kings, the clear nine seed in the Western. No, no, we, we owe these guys some more time here. Actually, on, on did we have course. any? I thought I thought the other question was, du- um, was duplicative. Better prospect long term, Murray or White? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I, okay. I still like DeJounte. I mean, God. I mean, White has been he's been very, very good defensively, but DeJounte, we didn't do all defensive teams last year, but I mean, he was in serious consideration for my first team, like in just kind of the preliminary process because I hadn't done all the full research. I love him as kind of the tip of the spear guy. That's really useful. And then we'd heard good things about his jump shot. Now, it was, you know, hearing those things in preseason training camp is very different from seeing it against NBA competition and all that kind of stuff. But for right now, I'm going to go with him. And, and Derek White, you know, he's having a wonderful year and, and he having a more reliable jump shot, you know, 34%, that makes him a, a more logical complimentary player in a lot of that. So I, it, it's closer than I would have expected, but I'm still going to go with DeJounte for right now. Yeah, I mean, White is 24 already, right? So, and Murray, this would have been his third season. So uh, next year, Murray is going to be, oh, he'll actually be 24 next year, uh, or tw- 23 most of the season. Yeah, because it's uh, September of 96. Um, yeah, this year of lost development is a concern. I mean, his two-point jumper was coming along okay, really had not extended out to the three-point line much. White, I think, is solid defensively. Murray just has so much upside on that end. I think Murray has uh, that floater that white doesn't necessarily have white is just i think very solid in a lot of areas i think murray is the higher upside so it really depends what you're prioritizing i mean if you wanted to say who do i think is more likely to be a solid long-term starter who's not going to have a lot of weaknesses i like white for that reason who has the higher upside i mean murray has a little bit more verve with the ball in his hands a little bit quicker the upside defensively so it's a tough call it depends what you're prioritizing okay let's uh move to the teams that uh will not be appearing in this year's playoffs and that group starts with the sacramento kings that are still 500 they're 36 and 36 five and five in the last 10 slight negative net rating puts them 16th in the league 20th in offense 14th in defense and they're projected to win 39 games which is ninth in the west they're the only they're the only western conference non-playoff team that has not yet been eliminated which is kind of cool kind of amazing i mean that they're that they've moved this far clear of everybody else and not surprisingly the questions in the sacramento section focus on the offseason but the one i want to start with is from bucks in 62 how would luka Doncic have fit in sacramento if they had taken him and the question posits a bunch of things but i just want to focus on that and my answer is i think he would have fit in really well now the mentality you, you you're still getting a lot of the team personality from De'Aaron fox and pushing and transition but it gives them a second guy who can really create and so you could 
kind of do a, a stagger where you're obviously still playing those guys both starter minutes so you have one of Luca and De'Aaron on the floor at any given time I think that helps them a lot you know the bench offense has been inconsistent this year also I think both of those guys can do well on and off the ball and it's not like the Kings had so many options at the three that you're pushing out somebody who's actually been good this year so I think Luca would be materially better for them both now and in the long term than Marvin Bagley and Bagley's been better than I expected yeah, Begley is looking like he's going to be a pretty solid offensive player. And there is a concern for with the question that it wouldn't be easy to get enough minutes. Well, I mean, I think you basically would have four guys for three spots on the perimeter there with that group. Um, you know, remember, they probably wouldn't make the Barnes trade if you've already got Luca. Now, you could certainly argue that defensively, you've got some concerns there. You know, really, none of those guys are guys that you want guarding the best threes. So you'd probably need to get another guy in the long term who would be able to be a part of that mix as well but even having a, and luca could play a little bit of four at times or maybe three to be named later that i was talking about who could guard some of the best threes could get some time with the four so i think having that five-man group that could man the one through three spots i mean we've seen luca play some more at, at point guard nominally although really you know jalen brunson is the point guard he's guarding the point guards right now for dallas but you wouldn't need necessarily to have a pure point guard out there maybe they'd have yogi ferrell or frank mason get a little bit of time but i don't think they would struggle especially you know guys are going to get hurt during the regular season like one of those guys probably won't be there for the long term i mean you're talking about with fox and luca as really the main guys there um maybe you would say that between bogdanovich and healed one of those guys doesn't get a second contract with the team at that point but luke is so good you figure it out um bunch of questions here let's talk about their general front court situation both bringing back willie collie science restricted free agent and then also this uh ballyhooed bagley giles tandem yeah we, we got a series of questions i mean we can just talk about it more generally i mean i i think a, a very instructive part of this for Sacramento is that their I think their aspirations and expectations have changed in terms of what you're doing and now now are you saying f- like okay this front court let's say a Giles Bagley front court so you're transitioning first of all you're transitioning from those guys being backups to starters which is which is a big change in terms of opponent quality and surrounding talent and all that kind of stuff but also if you're going from you know being a young team that's still working together to being a playoff team to potentially being a playoff team that wants to win a series or two and that's where I think you start to really run into problems with both of these guys but like I've been very ambivalent on uh, actually sorry I shouldn't say ambivalent I'm way more negative on Harry Giles than a lot of people are I just don't think that what he brings to the table is particularly valuable and what he doesn't bring to the table is extremely important on a good team you know like defensively I see a lot of weak you know weakness like I don't think he really bring is a plus there and like yeah he's a good passer okay that's that's nice to have but you need to have all these other things on table so i'm much more optimistic about bagley being a part like especially as a starter of something great than harry giles but bagley's defensive limitations you and i both see him as a five that being his best position then a lot of those things start to come to the fore we've talked a lot about bagley so i think i can concentrate a little bit more on giles the defensive numbers have been worse when he's been out there, have been worse when Bagley has been out there. Those are young bigs defensively. That's not a surprise. Incidentally, I think the Kings deserve a lot of credit for putting together a respectable defense this year, considering some of their limitations. Absolutely. I mean, especially with their, like, with so many young guys in the rotation. But and 
Yeah, yeah go ahead. Sorry. And running so much. I mean, because that can yeah. take a lot out of a team, too. So, but Giles, to me, you know, offensively, the passing has been impressive. We haven't seen much of the stretchability that he showed more in the summer. But I think that's something that they can work into a little bit. I think his post game has grown a lot as time has gone. I mean, he was for the first month or so of the season as he lost his rotation spot. I mean, he was one of the worst players in the NBA. He's not that anymore. He's shown some signs. He's taken a lot of strides. This is his first healthy year that he's had in probably five years, you know, so yeah since like his junior year of high school i would say yeah so he's not the explosive athlete that he used to be before all the knee issues but his strength is really coming back and i thought uh in that brooklyn game although down the end he struggled he did some really impressive things he's got beautiful left and right-handed jump hooks in the post and he was able to get great position and if you do play bagley and giles together one of those guys is going to have a big mismatch advantage on the block and they've got enough shooting generally around those guys i think if you are playing them together that you're going to have room to work there and there's very few teams that are going to have someone to guard both of those guys and giles i really was impressed with how he was able to get great position for those hook shots he still didn't get to the line a ton uh because you know hook shots don't get you to the foul line generally but i i liked just the improved core strength and ability to get position that he's shown you know he's not shooting fadeaway hook shots anymore he's turning into the lane he's getting to his spot and he's been very effective with those those plays but the defensive end of the court is the bigger issue to me uh where you know bagley has a little bit shorter arms i mean he is a quick jumper but he's kind of more of a guy who's going to get you he's going to come out of nowhere and surprise you his verticality game isn't as good uh and then giles i mean really i've seen almost no defensive highlights from him this season if you want to look at his block rate not amazing this year has actually gotten his hands on some balls to get some steals but I, i'm i don't see him as incredibly mobile a guy who's going to get out on the floor and provide value that way denying penetration i think he could be a smart player and, and maybe develop some instincts and learn the scheme and maybe that maybe that's how he can be going mean, we've seen guys with worse physical attributes than he has become effective defenders at the center position you know his teammate costa kufos is actually a pretty good example there of someone who can be an effective defender while not having the greatest physical tools but you know certainly i mean and that comeback win by brooklyn is is, uh an extreme example of this of just you know both bagley and giles not being able to provide much of the room and if you're going to play two bigs together you have to be great defensively like that's that's how you're going to succeed and i don't see that happening with with those two guys and you know maybe if they can both become really good shooters from three then maybe it works better offensively but i'm not quite as high on that group as you mentioned especially since the question is what's going to get you deep into the playoffs as opposed to just you know hey congratulations you're the seventh seed um yeah also i i'm not super concerned about it because he's 20 and hasn't had a healthy year in a bunch of time but jow's foul rate is really high for somebody who doesn't do a lot of the other activity things that like you know he's not a great shot blocker so it's not like oh my god he's crashing into guys he's getting that'll tone down like miles turner i think was an interesting example there and he's not a great rebounder he's been okay you know that that's sort of i think that's a better description from there and so sometimes for me when guys have a high foul rate and they're not doing those other things i kind of think that might be a little bit of a warning sign that they can get better but they don't have it all together and then i mean question from antonio babich what should sacramento's focus be this offseason to help build on what they've oh, started that's babich i was it's babich from my mother i said baby last time sorry about that antonio <laughs> and so uh, what should sacramento's focus be this offseason to help build on what they started i mean it is really unfortunate i mean i'm great i haven't been high on harrison Barts for years but 
committing, I assume he's going to opt in. And kind of if he opts out, I feel like that could end up being a disaster for them too, because that might be because they're lining up a bad contract for him. But I think the biggest thing that Sacramento needs, there, so they need forwards. I think that that's pretty plainly clear considering how well Heald and Fox have played this year. And those guys are young, even if Heald's a year older than he was six months ago. But I, I think that... <laughs> no, no, he's, uh, he's a, a year, year and, and a half, half older, older than, than he, he was six, six months, months ago. ago. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> I, I think that... You do need forwards and a guy who could just like get a bucket in isolation would be great for them. But the mo- I, I think it'd be great for Sacramento. And I mean, ideally for me, it would be at the center spot just because I'm a little lower on Bagley. Somebody who can give them a defensive identity would be huge. I, did, I mean, I think Fox can already give them a lot of their offensive identity. And so ideally somebody who could do that and, you know, add something to the table offensively would be great. Sacramento's challenge, though, is that they don't have a ton of flexibility this offseason. You know, they have some spending power, but as if we assume Barnes opts in, they don't have a ton. And well, well, okay, so so let's let's do the actual numbers here. Sure. So twenty two million with Willie Cauley Stein's fourteen million dollar capital. We got a question about Cauley Stein here, and you know, to me, it's pay him backup money if he gets more than that, let him walk uh, as the solution there. I mean, you know, they they will need a backup center, but I think you kind of treat Giles and Bagley as if they're the guys going forward, and if they don't work out, you can always find another center. But yeah, committing big money at Cauley Stein is not so. Hopefully, he comes back for less than that fourteen million cap hold. If you do keep him as a restricted free agent, though, he's going to count on the books at that cap hold and so that eats into your spending powers but you could if you just dump him have 35 million in space and i would recommend ultimately if they can find a good thing to use that on dumping him and then just you know finding a backup center with a little bit of that space as well um but to me so 35 million even if it's only 22 million the kind of two years at you know high teens 20 million for you know a danny green would be what i'd be looking for someone who can guard threes in a pinch and trevor ariza's name is surely is going to come up i mean he took the money last year with uh the Suns, but i think ariza could help them more as well um but yeah i mean there's not a lot of guys who are of the ilk that we're talking about i also think the restricted free agent market i'd be interested kelly Oubre isn't quite what they need rodney magruder dorian finney smith those guys might be guys that they could look at as well i think in the uh in the realistic al fru camino would be another guy i would like for them i'll I'll throw a couple other guys that i like there i would be very interested it'd be a different schematic thing but nikola mirtich there just kind of lean into that direction would be so much fun they've got bielitsa already and they may yeah but i I think mirtich is meaningfully better and like yeah. Miritich can be a part of your closing five. And I think that's a, that's a big distinction. And not only because it would be intensely amusing, but Bojan Bogdanovic would be really fun on this team. Like you get, you, he's done a really a, a, a good job being a higher usage guy on Indiana this year, but he's pretty much a straight three at this point now and not perfect, but you know, like, I mean, he could end up being one of the better options on the table. All right, that's plenty on the Kings here. Is it the Lakers next? It is not. It is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Oh, that's right. Yeah, of course it is. The Timberwolves, 33 and 40, 4 and 6 since the last 1560. Negative 1.1 net rating is 21st, 12th in offense, 24th in defense. A team that's overall season numbers are going to look a lot worse than what they were in the more competitive part because Covington, Jeff Teague, and Derek Rose have all been shut down for the season. Rose had surgery for bone chips in his elbow, so we could see this falling off. I mean, they do still have... Carl Anthony Towns, he's going to have some crazy nights and all that sort of stuff. And because of their coaching situation and GM, it's very possible that they push a little harder to the tape than some of these teams that have clearer incentives that could end, especially with Carl Anthony Towns there. But it'll just be about, you know, like who's playing on a given a given day. And 
it's not a surprise. We got a lot of questions about about Wiggins. I think we could start with one from Robin. Did, did we do the news? Yes, I just talked about how those guys are shut down for the year. Sorry, I was reading, okay. I was reading the questions. Yeah, so I'm going to start with the one from Rob MCI 16. Should Minnesota move forward with the expectation that Andrew Wiggins is their starting shooting guard? And at least for the coming off season, I think they kind of have to just because Minnesota won't have a ton of spending power and they already have Robert Covington and Sharish and all that coming back. So yeah, I mean, if they could get somebody better than Andrew Wiggins for, let's say the mid-level exception, if they could do that, I absolutely would, not only because perimeter player wings are extremely valuable, but as a practical matter, I don't expect them to be able to do that because the guys that are good enough to really move the needle are going to get paid because of scarcity. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I, I mean, they're paying the guy thirty million. They kind of have to, right? I mean, I mean, and this is only year one of that contract. I think we've seen this happen a little bit where his role has started to get reduced some. You know, especially when Covington was healthy, and that was back during the Tibbs era, of course. But uh, we've seen that Wiggins is getting fewer minutes at least than Covington and certainly if you can get an upgrade there go for it um and we I mean he can't be as bad next year as he was this year right like you you hope that's the case at least where, where they can um, at least give him he can at least be above replacement level uh but yeah I mean we, we keep saying that every year and uh you know, it's not the case uh another question uh does Wiggins pass an NA test the answer is no we said he was the worst contract uh in the NBA and uh would cleveland want him back i mean that's an interesting one where cleveland does have some bad contracts that expire next year and maybe they if it were that kind of a deal a pure dump where you know for john henson and delhi or you know they've got tristan thompson actually you know tristan thompson might be someone that there'd be some interest in in minnesota though you know he could re- kind of replace taj gibson although i still think they need to go with more of a stretch four look around towns um so i mean that's maybe like and i still think that like by the way if cleveland if cleveland offers that in your minnesota you take it and you run as fast as you can with it but they still wouldn't do it though they still no yeah but they should. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think this is a good question for. Well, well, you know, maybe the new GM, and that—that's maybe that's the only hope, right? Is if it, a new GM comes in, you know, Scott Layden is still there. It, we haven't heard any indication that it's not going to be Ryan Saunders going forward. And in fact, Fred Hoiberg being rumored now to take this Nebraska job, which uh, you know I would have thought he could have done a little bit better there in terms of uh, a college job. Um, but that's maybe, it, although he does have ties to Nebraska, maybe that's an indication because Hoiberg had been rumored in Minnesota that, you know, it's going to be Ryan Saunders going forward. I think everyone seems to really like Ryan Saunders and certainly uh, it's a good story there. I, I I don't think he's done an incredible job or a bad job. You know, I, I haven't seen a ton there to, to indicate that he, you know, is particularly good or bad as a coach so far. Um, but, you know, so what does that mean for Scott Layden? Does that mean that Scott Layden is going to get to keep his job now too? Uh, kind of unclear whether they're going to try to make a move there. But if someone new does come in, he would probably have a, a little bit more of a hand in terms of blowing it up and moving Wiggins potentially. One one of the big problems with that though, and this can tie in with kind of the off season, is what would Minnesota be getting with that? Because it would it would cost, I mean, unless a team sees Wiggins as positive value, and if they do that, yes, move him right away. Do it as quickly as you can. But if if it's not that, then 
sometimes what people are into of like, oh, let's blow it up or let's do it is, is what are you going to get? Because Carl Anthony Towns is still making a bunch of money. Gorgie Jang still has another two years. We assume Jeff Teague's going to opt in. So it's not like the, the Timberwolves can overhaul their roster with an Andrew Wiggins trade. Like that's just not the way this works. They're going to, they would still, it would still take time to, to turn things over, to, to wipe out some of the bad money. And then eventually they're going to have to pay, presumably they're going to pay Sharich and then Covington still has three years after this year. So that's still plenty of time. So yeah, I mean, it would be moving Wiggins would be a good thing, but I don't think you would reap those rewards. And so then to, to paint the picture of their offseason a little bit, I don't want to go too in depth in this because we'll do a full offseason preview. If you let all of their free agents go, including Tyus Jones, but not Jeff Teague, because I assume he opts in, then Minnesota has about 22.6 million under the tax. Now their, their draft pick will eat into that but not that much, you know, and then they'll, they could bring back, basically, that means they could bring back pretty much yeah. anybody. The, their draft pick will probably be about $4 million. Yeah, $4 million. So that means they can bring back pretty much anybody and use the full mid-level unless somebody gets really overpaid. You know, like Taj Gibson, to me, you're treating him more like a backup center than a starting four if I were doing it. So then use the mid-level, basically, I would say best player, not necessarily specifically for next year, if you can get him on multiple years, somebody who could be good, probably 2020. 21 would be the year I'd be targeting, you know, like somebody who could really help the team then. And who's going to be the best player is going to take like 9 million. I, I'm not sure yet, but that that's where I'd be looking. Okay. Lakers now, I guess. Yeah. The Lakers, the Lakers are the next team. They are 31 and 41, a resounding one and eight in their last nine games. <laughs> 23rd in net rating. 22nd in offense 16th still in defense though that's actually worse than they were before they, they were like 13th or 14th a couple weeks ago and they're, they're gonna finish worse than they finished last year yep. isn't that insane it's incredible and so their 538 projection has them with 35 wins which ties them for 11th so they'd be tied 11th 12th in the western conference they are not going to make playoffs they've already been mathematically eliminated but by, by d'angelo russell and the nets Yes. That was quite apropos. That, so, not that I wouldn't have made that trade, by the way. I think that there's been a little bit of revisionist history there. And also because we don't think Russell's as good as everyone else seems to right now. Um, yeah, it's it, it's always funny when you, when things like that happen. It's like, well, oh, I'm more on the Lakers side of this. And they're like, oh, okay. And it's because I don't think Daniel Russell is good. And they'll go, oh, hey, like, that's not fair. Like, like you know, that, that sort of a thing is, is always interesting. So I want to start with a question from John Capps. This is basically, should the Lakers focus on retooling their roster to acquire big free agents, or should they shift focus to building around LeBron with shooters? I think the Lakers' path is actually pretty straightforward, and the reason why is just because of cr- the timing and chronology. So I think you, you know, you you talk to the Pelicans about Anthony Davis. Sure, I mean, you see what see what a deal would be. Maybe it's not possible they're going to have a new general manager. You kind of you're going to know a yes or a no on that pretty quickly because what the Lakers can offer isn't going to change, and so it's just whether that is good enough, and then. For the Lakers, you have, and the Davis deal would wait until after free agency because then they would get more cap space to use. You go after the best free agent you can. You see if guys say yes or you see if guys say no. And then the the big the big thing that they're going to have to deal with is, is this kind of two-pronged approach. So one of them is, you know, like, where do you draw the line in free agency? And then the other one is most of the trades that the Lakers could do to get better for next season will involve them taking on money for multiple years. And then so that decreases your flexibility. So then you can't really roll over the space to 2020. So my instinct would be you go after free agents, you know, best possible, whoever makes sense, you know, you kind of go along those lines. And then you're also having simultaneous negotiations 
with, I mean, you start with the Pels, but then you probably go to the Lakers with Damian Lillard, and then you probably go to the Wizards with Bradley Beal. I think that's probably the order you go. And then you're talking all of these conversations at once. You see what the asking price is. You see which is, you can't do, they can't do multiple of those trades. They don't have enough assets. So you're talking with all those, and then you make the best combination of signing and trade that you can, unless all of them are so impractical that you then rolling it over gets possible. But we're dealing with like a 35-year-old LeBron James at that point, and that's really troubling. Maybe there's a thought that your best option is that the trade deadline next year, more guys become available. Lonzo, his value couldn't be any lower after missing more than half the year again this year. Uh, Ingram had to get shut down as well, though it looked like he was maybe reaching a new level. Uh, Hart has had a year that's really been troubled with this knee tendonitis. I think he hasn't been as good, you know, other than, and, and Kuzma shot it extremely poorly from three. So just about all these guys have reasons to think what, that they could look a little bit better next year. And, you know, maybe just they're playing around LeBron. Maybe they get guys that fit better around them as well. You know, even if they do have to go the one year approach once more, and maybe that's what they have to do if they can't get the, uh, the guys that they want. And maybe those young start looking better. They are of course, closer to having to get paid ingram is extension eligible so that's going to be a concern um yeah and that and that's a big argument for making a trade during the offseason if it's going to involve ingram because that team would want to at least negotiate with him on an extension have that possibility and and hopefully get it get a discount there yeah you might not get that discount in restricted free agency um let's see here uh LeBron destroyed his team's chemistry, doesn't play defense, has only played 52 games, and is sitting out games to tank. Uh, this is from P. Occidentalis. Occidentalis, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, if AD isn't going to make it for some of the same reasons, why is LeBron James receiving any consideration at all for all NBA? Well, there are more forward slots than there are center slots. That's one reason. Um, Another one is that when LeBron missed the majority of his time, it was due to an injury, and yeah. that is a lot more acceptable than you know what's going on with Anthony and, Davis. And he's not asking to sit sit out games to tank either. I'm sure if no. it were up to him, I mean they do have the draft pick this year, but he would rather, uh, I'm sure, just play more games so he can get closer to setting scoring records or whatever. And, and also blaming LeBron for tanking this team's chemistry is letting way too many people way too far off the hook. I mean, we've talked about how poorly constructed this team was for an intensely long time. And the idea of trading for Anthony Davis, like, yeah, I mean, LeBron's presence made that a much more significant possibility. And yeah, that's Well, hold on, hold on. I I think, though, I mean, for him to be, you know, he really, like, was... And do you remember some of those quotes, like, right before AD was going to play there about how, oh, I'm staying staying legal with everything. I would love to play with Anthony Davis. And then he later called, like, oh, there's so many other players I'd love to play with. Yeah, okay. You just (laughs) happened to mention you'd love to put Anthony Davis... Well, and... and I mean, there's the whole, obviously the whole clutch sports thing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. there's no, a lot no, of that no, too. of course, no, no, you weren't involved in any of that playing at all. No, I mean, that's like no. You know, and he's he's also, you know, some of the stuff of him just like not being involved on the bench and like, you know, making it clear that he didn't like Luke Walton. And so, you know, Luke Walton's going to be gone now. But like, how is he supposed to coach the team when LeBron is not interested in keeping him around? And, you know, so no, he, he uh, he wasn't the only one. Yeah, but I he's mean, a big he's a big part of it, but yeah. he's not the only part of it. I think that's that's what yeah. I wanted to say was that Fair like yeah. and I mean this team being horrendously constructed. I mean if they were winning because they were well constructed. I mean LeBron's injury obviously sidetracked a lot yeah. of things. But, and LeBron had a little bit of a part in that as well. It would seem. Oh, for damn sure. Yeah, but I, I just think I just want to make sure that I, the, if there's anybody who's putting this season being a disaster solely on the on the shoulders of LeBron James, I think that is a gigantic mistake. 
though right. he is a big part yeah. of it. So that's a, that's all the time we have for the L.A. Lakers, which brings us to the team they spent a lot of time talking with this year, the New Orleans Pelicans. Well, actually, maybe not that much time talking with. Um, the <laughs> Pels are thirty-one and forty-three. They are two and seven since the last fifteen and sixty. Now nineteenth in net rating, still eleventh in offense. I mean, they, they. I think people lose sight of like what this year was. That's something I want to talk about at some point. I might even write a piece on that. Twenty-third in defensive rating. They're projected to tie the Lakers for 35 wins, which would be 11th in the Western Conference. They're not going to make the playoffs. And I want to start with this because I think this is a quick question to do from B Twitter. If the Pelicans won the lottery, do you think getting Zion would be enough to change Anthony Davis's mind? And this ties in with what I was saying before when you brought up Damian Lillard. And I think I thought that was a good point. Once you've decided I don't want to be somewhere anymore, it's really hard for some for some external factor to go. Yeah, like I, I I'm gonna come back. Like for example, like when the Blaze when the when the Thunder brought in Paul George, Russell Westbrook was not on his way out the door, but it made him more likely to sign, which he ended up signing the designated veteran extension. That is a much easier transition to make than I have told you that I want to be gone. And so for that, I think you'd also, you have to be saying like, oh, he's so good right away. Cause you, I mean, Zion's not going to, you know, do that. He's not going to play in a game until October. So I, my answer is no, I don't think that would be enough to make him change his mind. Yeah. The fit of those guys also is not amazing. Right. Yeah. I think that that's another consideration. Um, This is what I want to save actually, because after this season, this would be a great off season pod. Once the season is complete, Uh, the question was, should Anthony Davis make an all decade team? We should actually make that like a whole pod. That'll that yeah, would be really I, fun to do. I'm going to write that down right now. It, it should be. And one of the things we'll have to consider with that, because I looked into it a little bit. I saw that question and like you, I got tantalized by it was how we want to handle positions because the, the perimeter spots are much stronger than the guard spots. So if it has to be, you know, like all NBA, there has to be a center, you, then you it becomes it much stronger than the center spots. Yeah. Yes. That's what I meant. But um, he, he would certainly get a lot of consideration uh, he would. for me, I think. But, you know, he, he really didn't ramp up until 13-14 was really his first, like, all-NBA level type of season. Um, yeah. What else we got here? Uh, from Houdini NBA, who would you keep long-term if you were, like, the next Pelicans general manager? So I would not be keeping much of this team i mean sure you have you know guys like frank jackson and kenrich williams you know they're on cheap contracts they're restricted after next year yeah sure you know those sorts of things diallo you play the i mean we talked about this with Willie collie stein if somebody makes him a ridiculous offer you know better than like clear backup money but here's another way to look at it who on this roster right now is like even could be a starter for you three years from now i don't think there's anybody drew well AD. okay yeah i mean i guess this is he's got three more years under contract after this one yeah so he he's, has a player option for 21 22 okay so so he's gone then so so he you throw him out especially because you probably should be trading him at, at this point in time absolutely uh, well i mean and, and so presumably the answer to that question is who do you get back from the ad trade and then when you see what those pickings are if it's mostly draft picks i think then you really got to move holiday immediately if you're getting back you know a jason tatum or something like that then okay go, go ahead and make your chance at competing and getting around 500 for the next couple of years um you know if you're getting a jalen brown and jason tatum or you know something like that where it's guys who actually can contribute right now um well, and 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 having drew gives you a chance to properly evaluate those guys because if you're selling off everything and then you have jason tatum at some point you're gonna have to figure out how much to pay him what when your timeline's gonna be and that's 
can be actually really hard. Like that evaluation yeah. is tough. Yeah. So, uh, but other than that, I mean, there's really, you know, Kenrick Williams, <laughs> you yeah, know, I Ju- mean, like, Julius Randall, they could try and bring him back. I mean, they're there. But yeah. the easy answer there is why, <laughs> like, you know, like with, 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 well, I mean, just, just to be semi-respectable, just to have someone you can throw the ball to and can score 20 a night. And so you're not just a total embarrassment. I mean, that's the, I mean, they're going to have 23 million in space this off season. If Davis gets moved, maybe they bring back less salary. And so uh, that, uh, although I'm, my inclination would actually be to try to sweeten your pot for Davis by taking back some de- bad salary from the destination in question, assuming it is a destination that has bad salary to send back to you. Uh, yeah. Very interested to see whether like Gordon Hayward could be in an AD trade. Um, I might be interested in, in giving him a shot if I'm New Orleans, especially if you can kind of get him treated as bad salary in the deal and get more for taking him on. I would seriously consider it. Um, let's see here. So uh, coaching candidates the Pelicans should look at. You know, I haven't really locked in on that yet of who some of the hot names are. I haven't started really talking around the league of that discussion. I mean, like Lloyd Pierce was someone who wasn't even remotely on my radar last year. And, and it's very difficult to even know how to evaluate head coaches, not to mention assistant coaches. So that's a difficult question. And, um, and we also don't know what kind of team they're building to i mean you know are they are is it is yeah. there are they really going in the player development mold you know I, going? i mean D- darren Ehrman, who's on their staff right now is now they certainly have never really had a great defense and he's supposedly a defensive specialist but he's someone who's been known as a really intellectual uh from a coaching perspective and if they decide to move on from Alvin Gentry, which it seems like, although I don't really know why. Okay. I, ha- like, I have like, my favorite hypothetical. Yeah. Luke Walton coaches all the players he just coached this year that aren't LeBron James. Like you basically yeah. just, you just create the 2016, 17 Lakers in new Orleans and have Luke Walton coach them. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Lucas Owen, I think, deserves another shot. Maybe you you're promote Darren Ehrman as someone who would be a less expensive option, always an, a consideration for this team, and, and see uh, what he can do. You know, I mean, it seems like Gentry's not going to be back. I don't know that he's, like, done a bad job there or anything necessarily. Um, but it just it seems like he's, you know, maybe more a coach for a more mature team. Um, all right, I think that's enough on that. Let's, uh, what's next here? Next up are the Dallas Mavericks. On the strength of their win yesterday, that's what pushed them over Memphis. Um, the doubt they're tied actually, but Dallas has the higher 538 projection 29 and 44, two and nine in the last 11 negative 1.8 net rating puts them 22nd 17th in offense 19th in defense that 19th in defense is still better than i would have expected 538 projects them to win 33 games which would be 13th in the western conference they're not making the playoffs and a little bit of news first tim hardaway jr is out for the season he had a stress reaction in his left tibia and i was there for rick carlisle's pregame availability before their demolition of the warriors on saturday and carlisle just he got asked about porzingis i'm sure he gets asked all the time he was very optimistic about he said the knees responding well talked a little bit about like the on-court work that he is doing you know obviously not to the the full full stretch of it it didn't sound like porzingis is going to play this year from from what i could tell i mean there isn't much of an incentive there either way like to to make it happen but i was encouraged by that like he he was you know i mean because they're going into this weird restricted free agency negotiation with a guy who's never played for the team but i I was happy about that that made that that made me that pleased me all right well you you did a little work on this one so uh, i'll give you the floor to answer this from trig andrew what concrete things does luca need to do to be a top 15 to 20 player uh so 
just from a statistical standpoint, where is uh, the ability for him to improve? Well, so, I mean, Luca's having a pretty remarkable season for not only a rookie, but for a young rookie. I mean, this is his age of 19 season. He's putting up, you know, about league average true shooting on 30% usage, which is pretty impressive. But a, a way that I thought of framing this was Doncic this year has a about a plus 1.75 offensive PIPM. And I think that's really where you're talking about it. And if you want to talk about, I said when we were doing perimeter players and our top 10 players, so that's that's a little bit different than 15 to 20, but those were players that were more of like a plus four offensive player. And you could go take it down to plus three or so if you wanted to go to this range, which is a little bit easier to get into. For me, John Chich has a couple different things. So one basic one, he has been very effective, very effective at getting to the free throw line this year, 41% free throw attempt rate. You know, I'd, I'd be very happy with that if it continues moving forward. But this year, he's only shooting 71% from the line. Now, he's had some weird ass clunkers too. He like, really, I mean, like, really has. Like, you know, I think, didn't he have like a one out of nine game earlier this month? I think he did. And like watching it yesterday, like his misses a lot some of them were particularly close which is weird yeah. for a guy for a guy who Maybe is not a bad free throw lower body injuries that he's Could had be. where yeah i just- mean your legs aren't there every time from the free throw yeah. line, but you know, I think the, that the could that could be a part of it. Good, so. And and I mean, Luke, Luca, despite being an NBA rookie, has played a ton of basketball, and he has been a, an eighty percent free throw shooter about over the last two years at Real Madrid. So I would expect that to get better. And so you know, just if you're taking let's say like 10, 10 free throws a game, like that, that's about what his rate has been. You make ten percent more of those. That helps. That helps yeah. your. your I mean, that, that really bumps up your efficiency quite a bit. Yeah, ultimately. It, it really does. And so this year, I, I looked it up. He's been thirty-eight percent thirty on catch and shoot threes, which are only about a tenth of his shots, and then thirty-two percent on pull-ups, which are about a third, which is incredible. And I, you're never gonna with Luca. You're probably never gonna see that ratio get you know closer to the to the to the catch and shoot side just because of what his game is so you know you could prove a little bit there i was sh- I, when i looked it up i hadn't gone through his synergy stuff in a while i'm gonna watch a lot of film on him this summer but he's already 81st percentile in pick and rolls including passes which is just for a rookie for a teenage rookie is incredible so but he will get better as a pick and roll operator playing with you know if they could get porzingis will will help that too just a different kind of threat and i mean dallas i would i would assume that they will have superior personnel over the next couple of years and that's another way that'll really help him because as somebody who can amplify and create better openings for players you need guys who can convert that and i think that's really going to help and another area that i do think though that he could improve Doncic has been middle of the road in, as a transition scorer and as a scorer plus passer. And some of that is, you know, just getting getting different guys around him, getting in, in that. But I, I do think that he could be better as a transition scorer and also work on his post-up game. You know, kind of th- there are parallels between Doncic and Ben Simmons, both of whom are, you know, c- could just use that as a mismatch thing. Like one of the things I really enjoy when you have a taller guy who can run pick and roll is you don't only do the tall, tall, but you can do a tall, small and try to get that switch. and you can create different sorts of advantages and i would love to see him go in that direction too like there's there's just a lot of those type of things and also obviously strength and conditioning and getting his body right like those things will be big helps too yeah and in that vein his off the ball game both you know just getting a couple of quick post-ups right at the charge circle if he has a smaller guy on him ability to make plays coming off of screens off the ball you'd like to see that you'd like to see him just overall getting in better shape to where you know he can do more handoff stuff now uh 
push the ball and transition a little bit more be a lot better defensively i mean all all of that is stuff that's going to come from getting into better shape hopefully some of these nagging injuries that he've had can be alleviated uh what can the mavs do to build around luca and porzingis now that they've depleted their trade assets um well they've got and we'll just finish up with this probably they're right on the borderline of having enough money for a seven to nine year of experience max guy depending on where the cap falls in and they could certainly stretch somebody if they needed to or something like that but uh other than free agency this year and they really and then free agency next year they don't have a ton of avenues and so it's porzingis it's luca and bringing back kleba and finney smith uh, off of those uh, restricted free agents with small cap holds but that'll lead into the 2020 space whatever you're going to pay them porzingis obviously his cap hold is smaller this year if he gets uh, what'll be a max or near max deal so 2020 free agency could be looking even a little dicey as well so yeah this is like kind of the summer they've got cap space this summer they damn well better come away with something okay memphis is next they are at 29 and 44 playing at a very respectable rate though mike conley having an extremely underrated season when he's been in uniform they have remained quite competitive negative 3.1 net rating is 25th in the nba they're four and four in their last eight 27th on offense eighth on defense that is very solid considering gasol has been gone for a while now and they traded away some of their other vets like green and temple they project for 32 wins which would be the 14th seed in the conference what should the grizz do with conley next season he makes 32 million next year 34 million the year after he will be 32 i mean he is playing at what would easily be an all-star level in the eastern conference he has stayed healthy with uh, that ticking time bomb it seems like with the achilles of the surgery that he had last year seems to have really worked uh i mean i think I don't know if the price has gone up for him with him continuing to play well because now you don't get this year's playoffs. It's been said that the Jazz and Grizz may revisit things this offseason. You have to wonder maybe if the Jazz regret not offering a little bit more, but that's not really their way. Um, I mean, I, I still think they probably need to trade him. We'll see what ends up happening with their draft pick this year, whether, you know, I mean, if they are in a position to draft uh, Morant, for example, you know, that's probably really the only point guard that's really going to make you say okay we're gonna you know garland is is missed the whole year and he's also kind of a, a combo guard with his mentality so if the, assuming that they don't draft a point guard that they feel like they want to develop i still think you probably just want to move on from conley because i don't see them getting back in the playoff mix a lot of it depends just on what happens elsewhere in the conference too i mean if you're looking well, at it, hey it's it, gonna it, be 47 it does, wins again it doesn't it doesn't because i think we have a pretty clear idea that the west playoff picture is going to be tough next year oh I mean, and also i mean have they retain their draft pick or not i mean that's the other question too to me if they if they convey it this year then i think that makes it even clearer to trade conley right and if they don't convey it then maybe it makes more sense to hold on to him and try to compete again next year and not give away as bad of a draft pick remember it is top eight protected this year top six next year and then goes to totally unprotected in 2021 and that is it sounds like is not going to be the double draft so they don't have to worry about that possibility there but yeah i think for me the west we don't know exactly how it's going to turn but i think the 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 playoff picture is going to be strong i mean those top six teams are all going to be there you know even if there are some departures unless like i guess portland is probably the most likely team to tear it down but i don't expect that at all like that that, they're the most they're the most likely and they're unlikely 
So then you're looking at, you know, the Clippers are going to get better, I would expect, just based on how they how they can have so much spending power. Sacramento, the Lakers obviously could be in there. Dallas is going to have a very different team. You know, I, I just think it's going to it's going to be tough. And even if New Orleans takes a big step back, remember they weren't really in it this year. So as of you know, like as things turned out. So I wouldn't be as enthused about just like trying to have Mike Conley drag your way to 500. Though, of course, you could also make a trade with him in season, but it yeah. just seems like well, at that well, point. Well, here's a question. I mean, I sure. think it's, uh, to me, it's more about how good are the offers. If the offer oh, is course. like one first round pick that's going to be, you know, uh, in outside the, 20s. Of the lottery, forget it. Like, let's just, let's just hold on to the guy. You know, he's a franchise icon. Why alienate the fans by moving him? He's still playing well. Maybe we revisit it again at uh the trade deadline and see you know we'll at least get another season we could try and compete again you know just see what happens and you know we don't want to just absolutely suck in this market you know we saw what that has done to their uh, attendance uh, this year being so bad last year Uh, so but I, i mean so now if it's a first round pick and like a solid young prospect then maybe I kind of start to listen and, you know, or maybe we can, we'll take back some bad salary in that deal too. And now we'll, uh, you know, we can get up to two first round picks and a prospect. Um, you know, I think it, uh, it's interesting uh what what might be out there for him what would you think of like him going to minnesota and you take back andrew wiggins but you're also going to get like a bunch of stuff with that well i was just thinking about how memphis doesn't have that much bad money on their books and yeah that would that would certainly well, change yeah they have to increase <laughs> yeah i mean and, and you can make an argument that the opportunity cost for them especially if we're talking 2021 like that's not as big a deal they're not going to go up like they're not going to be a free agent destination that quickly so and and moving forward i mean who knows with wiggins yeah, that, that's an interesting idea, um, and I think Conley would be awesome for for Minnesota for sure. And he could you could open things up, and then I mean, and they could probably. I don't think that Teague would probably be negative value, but I don't think he'd be intensely negative value. So you could kind of do that cycle in the opposite direction, as as some teams have done it recently, where you like basically trade a guy who's close to neutral value for cap space. They do it a little differently. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's a possibility. Um, real quickly here from Suda Baking, uh, what do you think of the Valanciunas and Jackson pairing? Uh, I mean, I think still think Jackson is better as the center in the long term. I think I'm a little bit loath to say where he should be playing until we see him with a more creative offensive coach and someone who's really going to let him bomb threes the way he should. Um, and then you know I could see with that being the case, and you know it looks like Jackson's out for the year here, but if he can really space the floor and then also get into the post against some mismatches maybe there is hope for him at the four you might want to have someone who's a little bit better of a shooter than Valanciunas in the long term but Valanciunas you know he's a solid offensive player I think he's really helped them at times there and then finally you wanted to talk about this uh why has Avery Bradley played so much better with the Grizz and we don't have to I think is it mostly just he's shooting it now yeah I mean so he his scoring has doubled in almost identical minutes and a lot of that's just him making shots and I think it's more he played worse than he was in as a clipper and he's played over his head i mean he's been over over league average true shooting so far so i think that's really about it is that he's been he's been you know you you did the the pendulum swing from from below expected value to above it and so that's what makes you know for a a player like him that makes a big difference um we can quickly i'll just say quickly like what do you make of the former raptors valanchunas miles and delon Wright? i mean valanchunas I think that you probably end up having him on the team next year, assuming he picks up his option because another team isn't champing at the bit to bring him in. And so just like, hey, he's a good player. We can we can have him around. There's no problem with that. And DeLon Wright, I 
I just don't think at, from what I've seen from him so far that he can be the guy who like leads you to a successful offense, you know, at least on the starter line, maybe on the backup line, you're okay. And those type of guys just aren't particularly valuable, especially when they're as old as Wright is that you don't think this is just like, and it, it, it's not him just needing to grow into that spot. He's pretty close to what he'll be. Nothing to add there, but on the Bradley point, 38% from three versus 34% as a Clipper, 59% on twos outside of 15 feet versus 41% as a Clipper and 54% at the rim as a Grizz versus 47% at the rim as a Clipper. So yeah, I, I would be he he was so bad with the Clippers that I think he was always going to take a little bit of a step forward, but I'm not going to sign him to a free agent contract. Although, you know, he could just be back in Memphis based on the strength of, of this because uh, they've got him for a, a very light guarantee on that $12 million for next year. All right, let's finish it out with the Phoenix Suns. They are 17 and 57, but 4 and 7 since the last 15 and 60. Negative 9.4 net rating is 29th in the NBA, 28th on offense offense 28th on defense beautiful symmetry there they project for 20 wins which would be 15th in the conference and that is going to be second worst in the nba is that right it is because cleveland has won a couple of games recently i mean they've they, cleveland's been strong yeah, they're we already about at, that. they're already at 19 wins and they're they're playing pretty well it looks like the suns were playing better and then they've kind of dropped off again and they've had a couple of these uh short jags uh, where they've won four straight or four out of six or something yeah and, um, and the knicks and the suns already have 17 wins and i don't think the knicks are winning 17 games so they'll they'll have they won't have the best lottery odds That'll uh, go to Kelly Kelly Oubre we mentioned his thumb injuries having a minor procedure on that left thumb as shooting hand so he is done for the year he had a nice push towards the end uh before he went down and then Josh Jackson suffered an ankle injury on Thursday it looked pretty serious but Kokoshkov said it's not actually believed to be serious he's not going to play over the weekend but he is in theory going to return and then they signed Jimmy for that for the rest of the season also have a team option I don't know if that's actual team option or a non-guarantee sometimes that gets misreported we'll see when it actually comes through um start here will anyone other than Zion be able to help the Suns from the upcoming draft um yeah I, I don't know the answer to that having not looked at them that closely but certainly Morant is exactly what they're looking for at the point guard position you would think uh well, and I don't know if they're talking about in the immediate because yeah. most rookies are negative value players. So yeah. I mean, that I think, part of it, yeah. that yeah, part yeah. of it might not help. And I'd throw Morant as a rookie point guard into that. I mean, we've seen oh, yeah. um, a lot of rookie point guards really, really struggle. So, uh, but if it were Zion, to continue the question, what does a Zion Booker Eaton core look like? Uh, well, DeAndre Eaton certainly looks very superfluous all of a sudden with that group i would say because i'm not a believer in zion shooting uh, i think he's got a very long way to go i mean i know he's he's made a few shot at okay this year but like that form's pretty busted it takes him forever to get it off i mean he's uh, i don't see him being like a quality spot up threat i think you know he'll take like one a game when he's left wide open i see him being that type of player at least you know in these first few years i think major surgery would be required for him to get beyond that level i also have major questions for how that team would work defensively you know like because you can't really you can't switch too much because Devin Booker would just get annihilated and those two guys you, uh, well, I don't know I mean I think both Zion and Aiton no those two guys aren't bad more yeah. yeah so I mean you can get away with one weak link in there yeah but you know? what are you going to do with the other guard spot you know like you're going to get it you're going to try to find a, another a switching guard that 
can well, space I mean, the floor and you know you could get if they bring back Ubre, they've got tj warren i mean i guess jackson will still be around they've got bridges and that actually like mm. that, that, uh, they they could have enough size there where it wouldn't be impossible to me well i mean it all would depend i mean i think that definitely maximizes eight and defensively a little bit more you still got zion to get some rebounds the spacing would be atrocious though that's my i think i, I don't right. like, like it I, that that's why I, I just don't think you can put together the, a full team that makes sense with that three with that if, 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 unless your goal is to just be a fun bad team in which case yes you can absolutely do that yeah I mean, and i'm not saying you like oh we're gonna get rid of eight and immediately i mean no no no, no see what it looks like but um oh man we're really at this point what does jimmer need to show in this stretch in order to stick in the league that he can be the impetus for a dynamic offense and i well, don't expect I, to see I, that i mean I, we're just talking about like being an end of the bench guy at this point i know but i mean to be like a spark plug i mean because if you're point guard sized and you can't do that then you shouldn't be in the league basically well he sucks on defense i think we, right the, exactly the, that's why he I... can't he can't show anything on the defensive end i mean he could show you know maybe executing the scheme a little bit or whatever but he, he's going to be a liability there i think to me it's i mean just the shots are going to have to go in you know i mean that's been the biggest problem for him i mean he hasn't made buckets the way he did in college or the way he has it in china so i mean that's number one i mean he's got to hit shots enough to where it's worth dealing with his other deficiencies so i mean the, the ball's got to go in that's the number one thing it seems, seems uh rather reductive but in this case i think it's it's accurate uh questions about ayton um first there was two questions from this from from bill kill how concerning is a low free throw rate for rookie centers and for me it is concerning because that's one way that you can show like your physical advantages now it, i don't think it's determinative i haven't done any like statistical and rigor on this in terms of it but you know you I, I would like to see a guy have that especially somebody with ayton's physical gifts as as a way of showing the advantages that they can put on the opposition and especially i mean he he can be a capable shooter of course but i mean it can be an indicator of a couple different things so it doesn't make me super happy but i'm not saying they're going like oh he's going to be a bad offensive player or anything silly like that um when is the last time a center entered the league with his level of defensive awareness became a good defender over time um you know so i'm going and looking through our top centers list from last year and trying to find guys who got a lot better i mean deandre jordan yeah you know deandre jordan's interesting i mean i think deandre is jordan is a much more athletic guy defensively much more of a playmaker than uh ayton is because i mean deandre jordan at least always blocked shots yeah I mean, like because that's a concern that he's that doesn't really block that many shots you know where some of these guys like okay they're jumping after everything but at least they've got like some raw shot blocking talent your miles turner your you know mitchell robinson this year andre drummond um demarcus i thought always had you know doesn't have the same physical tools as ayton although he's got better hands and uh you know demarcus has had some okay moments uh defensively um let's see you know clint capella never really had the greatest awareness to me as a conventional pick and roll defender but he you know he had the switch ability i still think that might be uh ayton's best path uh you know you can argue about where hassan white that's the guy i was gonna bring up. well but he also i mean Hassan Whiteside is like you know he's slowed down a little bit now because he's older than you remember but I mean he was one of the best raw shot blockers we've ever seen right you know? and his permanent his permanent block stats were bonkers as a king yeah so I mean I'm really struggling to see who it is as I'm going through I mean our, our list of centers from last year um yeah we're gonna see some big changes on this list actually when we do this later uh I think we're gonna do it later this week but um you know, Cauley Stein, maybe. I think Cauley Stein is an interesting analog. You know, he's been a part of a acceptable Kings defense. 
this year. I mean, I like Cauley Stein's mobility on the perimeter more, but he just hasn't really been used that way. Um, but you know, Cauley Stein was a guy who looked like an elite defender in college. You know, he was drafted in part for that. That's not why Aiton got drafted. So yes, it is very difficult to find an analog of someone. And I, I would, you know, to go back a lot further, you know, when I wasn't really covering the NBA and studying it that well to say, you know, who were the best center defenders and what was their reputation coming in, how much they, did they improve? I don't quite feel comfortable getting that granular, but no, it's a problem. It's definitely, I mean, he's made some strides. I still like the switchability aspect. I think that's something that they really need to find a way to use more, um, especially late in the clock. But yeah, I, I, that's why I've been so low on him as a prospect and so low on, uh, you know, his, the growth that he can show defensively because there is not really much of a history of that. Uh, thoughts on Mikhail Bridges largely unnoticed. Hey, not by us, uh, rookie season. Yeah, I talked about Bridges a little bit last time we did them for the 15 and 60. I've liked what he's shown on both ends of the floor, broadly speaking. To me, he looks like a complimentary offensive player, and I do not mean that as a slight. That's just what his game is. You know, he's shooting the ball pretty well from three, 34% overall, not getting to the line a ton but that's okay you know you very don't... very low usage guy too oh i mean yeah, he's, yeah. he's raised 12 percent, which is pretty amazing and 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 he, i've liked what he's done defensively you know he it's always hard on a team like this to 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 see a, how a player you know like shines or or doesn't but I, I i've liked him overall i mean i think that the theory of him incidentally when he back when the sixers drafted him was you know like a guy who doesn't need the ball a lot and can can make life easier for them defensively and i think that's kind of still what he can be on the suns now does he do that at a starting caliber level versus you know like a sixth man we're going to need more of a sample we're going to need more time but i'm leaning towards the starter part of that for me yeah he actually leads this team in minutes played um 34 from three and he takes 58 percent of his shots from out there we haven't seen a ton as you mentioned with the low usage of him really getting the ball and attacking off the dribble i was hopeful that in kakashkov's system they might be able to get some plays where they swing on the ball and he can uh, attack on the move and, and get to the room we haven't seen as much of that maybe as hope but so much with these three d guys is all right does the ball go in hey 34 percent for three shot it well at villanova has looked okay shooting the ball you know i think he's gonna get to be at least you know an average three-point shooter at that position and then defense is hard to evaluate you mentioned the the sun's ecosystem uh, has been relatively toxic especially from a defensive standpoint and he is pretty skinny you know i don't trust him to go up against the biggest wings he's a little bit slower to really like slither on screens and guard point guards you know i think he's maybe he can become kind of more of what i mean this would be a great outcome because he was a good really good player at the time but you know damari carroll is an interesting analog of i think that's what he you know what damari carroll was in atlanta that's what you hope bridges can become here um you know, i would say carroll maybe had a little bit quicker of feet than bridges but bridges is kind of kind of long and lanky and doesn't have like that real quick twitch choppy feet defensively and he doesn't have a ton of strength you know and, and carroll you'll remember was really tough too you know he came up as a power forward in college um but no i, I mean i think he's he's done everything that we would have hoped that he would do as a rookie um so far maybe shoot it a little bit better but so he's on track it's just a question of how big is his value going to be when he's probably not going to guard the best guy on the other team at, at a playoff type of level 
All right, I think we can pack it in here. You got anything we need to talk about before we go? No, I mean, my Real Gym Radio on the NCAA tournament from last week, I'll do a, a new podcast at some point this week, and I'm starting my work on off-season previews for The Athletic. I don't know how soon they're going to start coming out, but, you know, some point in the next week or two, probably. Yeah, we'll be back. We got some positional rankings to get to here this week, uh, so that's probably going to be one of our main focuses. We will talk to you all tomorrow. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.